Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Eh, what was I thinking, too? we gotta, we got to work uh, Paw Patrol into a few jokes, too. We've been slip, let that slip. Oh, I don't know. I had some Padawan Patrol jokes for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that yeah, never made it in the show. Thing, yeah. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast Season 6, Episode 10. My name is Dimitri. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Jonathan Kulin in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Did you listen to the last episode yet, John? It came out yesterday. <laughs> no, not yet. No? Yeah. This is a very special introduction by you. <laughs> oh, good. Goody. I'll look forward to listening yeah. to that when we're done. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, we got away with the fact check uh, last week. There was not not much, but today I've got a chock full of, of fact check for you folks. So on February 12th, 2001, International Human Genome Sequencing Consortium announced the publication of a draft sequence, which is when the DNA sequence was cracked. And that's I remember I asked last week about why... 30 years ago, they wouldn't have known about the human, deno- human genome thing, which didn't make sense why in 300 years they wouldn't know that either. But anyway, what are you going to do? But And as a fun fact, I also found out that uh, they actually have figured out how to write. This is on a different show altogether, but they figured out how to write um, code into DNA in respect to last week's show with the, what the Borg was doing. Apparently, all of the world's info which is 1.8 zettabytes, can be stored on 4 grams of DNA. And that would last millions of years, because, like, they're pulling mammoths out of the ice right now, and their DNA is still intact. So, and in case you're wondering how they would do that, uh, the DNA sequence is made up of A, C's, G, and T's, so you make the zeros as A's and C's, and you store the ones as G's and T's. So as long as you have binary data... You can encode it into DNA of some type, and who knows? You know, secrets could last forever. Or we could just put Picard's password in there, and it would last millions of years, right? <laughs> All right, good. I got a chuckle. <laughs> and uh, the second pilot of the bro- broadcast was broadcast as, as Season 1, Episode 3 of the original series, Where No Man Has Gone Before. That was not the cage, as I said last week on the show. And that was the one that starred Gary Lockhart and Sari Kellerman, and they had the you know the weird um, bodies taken. They 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 got special powers, right? Um, and that one actually had Doctor Piper, not Doctor McCoy. So it was kind of weird that the third episode of the season didn't even have the correct Doctor in it, right? Um, and Turnabout Intruder. I don't know why I th- I always think the Turnabout Intruder is the one where where they do the body swap thing, which was we were talking about in context of the tropes that we've seen in Picard. Uh, but Turnabout Intruder was, in fact, the last episode of uh, the, the original series, episode, uh, season three, episode 24. That was where Kirk's ex takes over him and become, he becomes her and her, she becomes him. And, and William Shatner has to act like, a, it has a really good job acting, I got to say, in that episode. 
And uh, just as a bit of follow-up from last week's, yes, that was, in fact, NCC701-F. And uh, we'll just leave that there for now. But you know, That's the one that Shelby was on board? That was, yeah, it was. And I went back and okay. I, was, I was taking some shots for the, for the art, for artwork. I wanted to get a, a shot of either the, the, the big one or the fireworks in space. So I went with the, I went with the fireworks in space. So <laughs> I watched that scene again. Um, and then on the Star Wars side, David Tennant will reprise Huang, I guess is the name of the, the, the um, joy that you couldn't remember the name of. And that was, in fact, from Clone Wars. Yeah, I remember that after more, we were done. Yeah. So, and for the, for the people out there who don't know who David Tennant is, he played Scrooge McDuck in the Chippendale uh, <laughs> Rescue Rangers. And that is his biggest claim to fame. That's his biggest claim. That's good. That was my Paw Patrol joke. I thought I had a... <laughs> I knew I had one in here somewhere, but, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, this, I just saw this today. It was one of the shorts I saw on YouTube today when I was, you know, picking up my phone at lunchtime that apparently Katie Sackhoff was complaining that Dave Filoni lied to her, completely lied to her for the end scene from season two, where, you know, they were Bogotan, Bogotan and, uh, Din Djarin and, and Grogu were, were, you know, under the, under the gun. And yeah, she, he told her that. Plo Koon was going to come and rescue them with the with the uh, the lightsaber. So she didn't even know that that was Luke Skywalker until, like all of us, we watched it together. Hmm, that's funny. Thing. Yeah. So she was like, you know, sending texts to Dave Floney going, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Yeah. I feel like that so one is interesting because we know we normally say that canonically nobody is gone in sci-fi stuff unless you see like a body and even then like it's like could be a clone could be a a temporal glitch or something of that nature Plo Koon I think blows up right doesn't he get shot from behind by the clones I believe uh, believe you are correct yes yeah like I was gonna ask who the heck he is yeah Yeah, he's a Jedi you'd know him if you look him up you'll probably recognize him he has a very distinctive feature especially if you watch the the Clone Wars series he's got this sort of uh, metal mask on that uh, sort of obscures his mouth but he's he's definitely a very distinctive Jedi from that uh, sequel uh, prequel trilogy that is right right yeah yeah she said it was just an actor with dots on his face that's that wasn't Mark Hamill yeah she was disappointed about being on not being on the set with Mark Mark Hamill as well as you would be as you would be yeah exactly but that ends our, our fact check follow-up slash whatever we call this section of the show, and we'll head over to headlines, and Jaime's up first. Yeah, we have the second teaser trailer. Sorry, I should say second season. Oof. We have the se- <clears throat> second season. It's so hard. My brain is wrapped around this one for some reason. So, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, its second season, now has a teaser trailer. How about that? Ooh. Uh, coming out June 15th. So we got a little bit of a gap here between the end of Picard and uh, the beginning of the the next big Star Trek thing, but this one has uh, has got me pretty hyped. Uh-huh. Uh, they show some interesting things in there and a and a little levity, like I want what is it? I want this ship to go now. <laughs> but yeah, Spock's trying to come up with his catchphrase for what he's going to say in the big seat. I want the ship to go now. <laughs> what uh, what's, what did we we did we see Kirk in the last season? Because there was a guy filming in Toronto who was playing Kirk. We did. did we, was he in season one? Yeah, remember they do uh, Balance of Terror, but what if Pike was the captain? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And then Kirk comes in. Yeah. He, he's sort of the, the cowboy kind of guy in that one. Cool. Yeah. Now I remember now. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's a good looking trailer and it definitely, it, it's definitely very teasery. Obviously, it doesn't really spoil anything that's to come beyond some, you know, pew, pew, pew. But 
it uh we see an old school klingon ship in there which is pretty neat obviously a little bit of the james t kirk walking into a room and immediately like making eyes with uh with the with the ladies on the crew which is pretty funny (laughs) um Mm -hmm. yeah i think it looks good I'd be curious to see where they where they go because they did they did kind of leave with a bit of a cliffhanger last season, right? We had number one being uh, exposed for being an augmented person. Mm, that's true. Yes, I forgot about that part, that cliffhanger part. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it wasn't mm-hmm. a major one, but it certainly it was you know was of note. Yeah, yeah, enough to take her away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny the first my first uh, model kit. Uh, I was a little disappointed I couldn't get the Enterprise, but I got a, a Klingon bird of tra- prey, the original, you know, gray ones with a little round front front. front so, Coolio. Next up. Yeah, the next Speaking one is... Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were wondering, like, wasn't Michelle Yeoh going to get a, you know, Section 31 series? And we can say, in, in true spoilerific way, there will not be a series. However, there will be an original movie event starring... Oscar mm. winner Michelle Yeoh. So apparently, of course, they're well. Yeah, yeah. no more series. <laughs> she's she's too big time for that now. Movies and movie events uh, as the Academy she Award. She's got time winners. to bleed now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek Section Thirty One will be the uh, the title for that original movie event. So I, I don't know exactly what that means. It could be you know hour and a half, two hours. It could be like a three to four hour thing split over two days. You know, it kind of depends. Like. Sometimes they're kind of loose with these sort of definitions, but it's not going to be a series. It's not going to be like Picard. It's not going to be like Discovery. It's going to be a, at least a one. Oh and yeah, done it's, going, it's going to be like not in the theaters per se, right? It's going to be like a yeah. No, it's a Paramount like Plus those, thing. Yeah, yeah, right, right. No, I, I just envisioned that it was in the theater for a minute. I guess no, nah. because that's what I think of movies. You know, no, I mean Paramount Plus is doing original movie content as well as TV shows, but. I think this makes sense. I mean, we've joked a little while now that, you know, obviously part of this sort of, you know, later career renaissance for Michelle Yeoh started with, you know, being a a key player on Discovery. I don't know that that necessarily like brought her into focus, but it certainly has been part of the factor. And uh, I think we all really enjoyed her performance on the show, but it's it's uh, something we've definitely joked about the fact that, you know, her her cost for this movie keeps going up year by year. I guess that's why it's not a, a, a ten, 10 episode series. They're like, they couldn't afford to do 10 episodes with the uh, Oscar winner, Michelle Yeoh. They could afford it before she was Oscar winner, Michelle Yeoh, but they couldn't yeah. afford her now. She was just the Bond girl before, right? That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, and she was in the first two seasons, right? She was like the the stepmom and then, and then she was like the emperor, right? Yeah. And she lasted, well, she, she was into season three, wasn't she? That was partway through season three that she left. Yeah. yeah something like so. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the middle of that whole was that that was the red angel thing, right? Mm, no, she, she goes into the future. She goes into the future ends, with them. Yeah, no, she, she sees Cronenberg. She uh, talks oh, right. to. Okay, uh, okay. I want to say the Guardians of the Galaxy is the Guardian of the City. Um, <laughs> or the edge man, of the world, edge of the universe, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was uh, a big sort of. You know, she walks into the sort of portal into who knows what, and I think we always kind of expected that they would conclude that story somehow. So. Here we go. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of wondering today, as as we'll talk about her episode, the, the latest episode in a few minutes. But kind of wondered if that was like almost like going to be the beginning of the blip, you know? Because we were all ta- we were all talking about how, although I guess, yeah, no, because yeah, because Discovery would have they would have been before all these events that we saw tonight. You know, it, it could have been an interesting plot point, like the whole borgification of of uh, 
the Federation and, and their, their solution around it, right? So, But it wasn't to be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, because I think we all have a, a notion that what she did when she walked through that portal was travel back in time, not necessarily back to her own dimension, but back in time. I wonder if, because it's called uh, Star Trek Section 31 is the name of the movie, right? I wonder yeah, if it is yeah. like to the beginning where she is part of the founding because we did establish that you know Section Thirty One was even around back in in Discovery's original time. So it'll be interesting to see how they explore it. Wasn't Voyager that ran into Section Thirty One or Section Thirty One's been everywhere? Like, but they've been in in multiple series. DS Nine they were in for sure because that's William Sadler was was the the, the agent there. The guy from uh, Shawshank Redemption was was an agent from Section 31. Remember, they were trying to recruit, recruit uh, Bashir, right? Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they had all, didn't they have timey-wimey stuff with, with Seven or somebody? somebody in... You know, I think they were not in Voyager because I think you might be thinking of the, like, the time cops. I forget what they're called. Um, oh, okay. I remember yeah. the ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they, it's like the temporal police people, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah those guys. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so that's not Section 31? No. No, it's different different guys. Um hmm. Section 31 as a concept starts in the shows uh in Deep Space 9, but is revealed to be as early as um Enterprise, I think. Like, you know, Enterprise being a show that takes place canonically before Deep Space 9 but was produced as a TV show after Deep Space 9. Mhm. So, um, I, I think there was section 31 in, um, in enterprise wasn't like Reed recruited into it or something. Yeah. 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 yeah like is that I say, where Wesley is now too? <laughs> yeah, really. It'll be interesting to see what, you know, because I, it has sort of been this mysterious entity in the Star Trek universe for a number of years. And it will be interesting to see where they where they're actually doing sort of the origin of Section 31 versus where this is just sort of the Emperor Georgiou, you know, fun fest. Yeah. Mm. Either way, it should be good. Yeah. Speaking of Galaxy Quest. Yeah, you know, never give up, never surrender is the, <laughs> the motto here. And uh, there's there's yet another rumor here uh, about a Galaxy Quest TV series in the works at Paramount+. Plus. It would kind of make sense given that they do have Star Trek, right? So. Mm. Uh, there's not a lot of a lot of meat here. There's talk about you know this uh, this series has been trying to get off the ground for like a long time, eight years, according to this article. Original idea about doing a continuation mm-hmm. from the movie, same cast. Uh, Alan Rickman has passed away, so yeah. can't really do something there. It was in Amazon's hands for a while. Not a lot of meat here, but I thought it was kind of interesting to think about. You know. What would you gentlemen like this show to be? There's there's tons of different options. There is the reboot option. There is the sequel option. Uh, there is the like TNG next generation option. It could be the like we're doing the TV show that the actors were doing, you know, canonically in the movie, you know, when they were pretending to be space <laughs> heroes. I yeah. think uh, I think it would be the most humorous option for it to be. A next generation gag, right? Because the whole point is that this is sort of based, they based themselves off of the original Star Trek series. I think if you could do a sort of TNG kind of thing with them, that would be probably a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like to, I mean, the thing about Galaxy Quest is, is, I mean, it's the whole, 
broadcast transmissions going off into space, which we've known that they've been doing because they didn't have any way of... There isn't, I mean, like, you know, broadcast TV was going out into the ether, just kept going in straight lines, right? Um, And that, you know, these aliens were picking it up. Because, I mean, and, and the whole concept of the kid with the... You know, the kids knowing more about the show than the actors did because they, you know, because of the whole convention, you know, nerds, they probably had a podcast, you know, maybe they'll have a podcast for these guys. Um, I, I like that, those twists in the, in the story that, you know, the aliens picked it up and thought this was a real thing. And then the kids were so into it that they thought it was a real thing. In the middle of it, you had these aging actors. Mind you, the actors are probably old enough now to parallel the original series actors trying to make movies well into the 90s and 2000s, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think there's a lot of possibilities for things they can do. I just it's hard. I mean, it's hard. The movie. I, I think this is another one of those properties where if they had done something in the moment, it would have been pretty exciting. I'm a little scared now, just because it was. You know, it's a cult classic. It's not. You know, it's not an all timer. And but it's, it's self-contained. I mean, it's self-contained, right? Like, yeah. I'm. I'm just. I'm. I. I'm. I'm in that don't mess it up kind of category with this one. Like, p- please don't spoil the legacy of what is a just a perfectly wonderful satire and original thing. Don't don't mess it up. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So, in this next story, somebody was saying that uh, you know there are some movies that you cannot get on streaming services. I think you've mentioned that before, I, John, right? Yes, indeed, that is true. I have a lot of them here in the house. So where does that take us with this story, honey? Sometimes you should give up, sometimes you should surrender is the <laughs> <laughs> the counterpoint to the previous story. This one is that Netflix is finally bringing an end to its DVD rental business on September 29th. Yeah, the, the punchline on this one, I think, was for a lot of people was, wait, they still do that? Yeah. Yeah, 25 years and very many of those years, we kind of all forgot collectively that this was a thing. Remember how controversial it was when they were splitting off into like Quickster or whatever they were going to call the, the DVD rental business? It was a big deal. Uh, and then they said, OK, no, 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 we're, we're going to keep it around. Apparently they made it into DVD.com mm. as the, the rebrand and uh, it was still there. I assume you could still make a make a queue. That it would send, you know, stuff to you, and when you send it back, it sends you the new ones. So. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we, as, as you said, Tim, we've talked about the fact that, especially in the increasingly fragmented world of streaming, where things aren't permanent anymore, and things are certainly getting, you know, there are things where you think you're going to have it on a certain streaming service, and then, of course, the license runs out, or you you may buy a copy of something digitally and then the you know the rights are ended on something like that you know my my son and i are certainly in the camp of you know if you love something don't be afraid to spend the money and put it on your shelf because there are no guarantees and you know i wouldn't do it for everything i'm not going to replace every single thing that i've you know watched on streaming that i enjoyed with a, a physical copy but there's certainly things out there, and it's amazing the stuff that they're still pumping out on on physical format. But then it's also amazing the stuff that they aren't. You know, like for a while there, Netflix was was even packaging up some of its material and putting it out on on uh, physical format just because they knew that there was still a market for it. But unfortunately, they never finished half of it. So like those Marvel shows that they did uh, with Jessica Jones and Iron Fist and and Daredevil, they put out some seasons but not all the seasons and and oh, you know. right. okay so and the other thing to remember is is 
you know, the George Lucases of the world are still out there. If you love something in its existing format, you might want to buy a copy because they're going to change things. Like, they go back all the time. You know, they've already changed Game of Thrones. There are things that are different than you remember them already, let alone well, Lord of the, the all-time right? classics, for sure. You know, they're going to edit out things as time goes by. They're going to edit out things that people find offensive. They're going to edit out things that, you know, uh, are contentious. They're going to edit out things that are no longer socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. You 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 know, and especially for streaming services because you know that's such a broad audience. If you if you want something, you might want to think about having it. But it's funny that uh, yeah, I, again, I would never have occurred to me that Netflix was still doing a DVD rental business. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I I certainly know that there are places that are still renting them too. So there's a market. Well, I was going to say, aren't there aren't there pockets of the United States? Like I'm sure there are in Canada too, where where there isn't decent internet and there isn't decent like you know like because I I remember like you know, Vermont was one of the states that I used to go to that that they didn't have decent cell service everywhere, right? Um, maybe that's changed. Maybe because of things like Netflix and the pandemic and stuff like that, they've had to up up their technology, but. I'm sure there are parts of the parts of North America where you cannot get a decent signal and watch a Netflix, you know, or or Disney Plus, right? Yeah, oh, and that's absolutely true here in Canada. Obviously, we have a very large country that is very very spread out, and there's certainly not you know fiber optic cable everywhere. We certainly are are starting to bridge the gap with things like Starlink, where you can be somewhere and connect by a satellite. But we're a long way from having that high quality across the entire place. And I'm sure there are places, uh, you know, Wyoming and places like that in the United States that are a little more, you know, sparsely populated where you're in you know, same, same boat, right? Well, I wonder, so, I mean, okay. So, so does it say in the article, like why, like, is it a numbers thing that they just don't cover? Cause I'm sure if it's a, if, if there's a need, someone will fill it, right? Like somebody will come up and take over that, not take over the business, but fill that business again. Right. Like I just, I just got a, a, an email this morning from The Beat Goes On, which is a, a place where Jonathan and I buy, um, you know, old discs and, you know, old, uh, like, Criterion stuff and CDs and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And they have, a, like, a wish list thing where you can put your your list together and they'll let you know when something arrives in the stores, right? And they're like a reseller of, vin- let's call them now, vintage media. <laughs> yeah. Legacy media. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they just did a, a, a migration of their site, right? They they were for the longest time kind of doing it on their own, but they just moved over to Shopify because I think. Uh, oh, is that what they did? Oh, yeah, okay. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's actually spot, uh, Shopify, but it's certainly probably is probably is. Yeah. It, it's certainly a much more sort of uh, sustainable and I'm sure less labor intensive for them. Uh, yeah, ecosystem for them to have their their stuff in. But you're you're right. Like this, it's. There's still a market for this stuff for now. I, I, who knows by the time we get to generations from now how they'll feel about that. But mm-hmm. well, I, vinyl came back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jaime, do you still have a lot of physical media? Or are you are you a, a physical media collector or little little bits and pieces? I haven't collected any additional physical media in quite some time, and I don't think I've like I, like I can't think off the top of my head what the last thing was that I purchased. And I haven't watched physical media that I've owned in quite some time. We've done like, you know, Redbox and stuff on occasion, mm. but I can't. Redbox. I was wondering if they're still around. Yeah. Yeah, they they are. There's still those um, those little kiosks out there. So to answer your question, Tim, they don't say from Netflix's perspective what happened there, but 
the article is suspecting that, that cutting costs is a lot of tech companies are doing. You know, mm. anything that's not core to your business, cut it off, even if there's the potential for some money. Um, for me, I haven't. Man, I have to, I'd have to really think, really, really think hard about that. So I've, I've maintained my existing collection. I haven't gotten rid of a lot of stuff, but I haven't really grown it in any way either. Hmm. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna accuse my son of being an example of his generation because I think he's a unique cat. But uh, he's, he's very into the idea of, of buy a physical copy of something it is still the best format to have as far as the the picture quality the audio quality all the features and everything else you know a 4k blu-ray disc is better than anything you'll get on streaming it's better than anything you'll get in any other format and you know for for the last you know uh christmas holidays that was a lot of what was on his on his wish list was was physical media and you know he's a 19 year old man so I thought that was kind of interesting. Did he get a copy of Live, Die, and Repeat? Yes. He did. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah, I saw that I, on sale the other day. Unfortunately, uh, there was, I think, at least three Tom Cruise movies on that list that made it our, made their way into my home. But uh, mm-hmm. here we are. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there's, there's a little something wrong with that. But, you know, he really enjoyed uh, Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick, which he he hadn't seen the original nor nor the sequel. So he, yeah. he enjoyed well, those. Well, the first one is kind of lame, but yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, I really enjoy. I've watched any time Live, Die, Repeat is on. I watch it. It's it's actually very entertaining. Again, everything about that movie minus one thing. Yeah, well, you know, it's got Emily, Emily Blunt in it, who I adore, and doing a two-handed handstand. So yeah, uh, it's, it's or body plank, whatever you call that. I don't know. Yeah, yoga thing. Cool. Yeah. Next next feature here, I'm going to talk about, but then I'm also going to ask, you know, to the to the ether out there that I kind of want the counterpart to this feature. So the feature, as described here, is Amazon Prime Video adding a feature called Dialogue Boost that uses AI to figure out the uh, the mix and decide where people are actually speaking because right now modern television, modern um, modern movies are mixed for what appears to be you know the most awesome home sound system you could possibly have. And if you don't have that, well, guess what? It's going to be really hard to hear people saying, you know, critical things over the pew, pew, pew. This is intended to, to, you know, be a solution for the rest of us of like, you know, Christopher Nolan movies and stuff. We're like, what? what? <laughs> I knew that say? name was coming up. I don't know. Things blown up and it's blown up real good, but I honestly cannot hear this critical thing that probably solves the entire mystery <laughs> is the idea. <laughs> Well, and so many people now, there's been a numerous articles over the past uh, past few years about the rise of subtitles, right? Lots of people put subtitles on whether or not they are obviously hearing impaired. They put them on just because it is that ability to watch a movie at full blast, but also make sure that you're not missing anything in the dialogue. I certainly do that when I watch even a lot of the stuff that we enjoy and talk about on this show. I put it on just because... For me, sometimes it's for note-taking purposes, so I can make sure that I spell names right and make sure that I don't miss a a little detail. Because sometimes they'll go as far as, you know, there'll be a a little whisper in somebody's ear, but they'll actually spell it out on the screen so you you don't have to guess what somebody was saying quietly or something. Or even background dialogue sometimes. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I I'm a little torn on this this feature, and I and I know uh, again referencing my uh, my son, the idea of something like Dialog Booster using AI to to isolate that is a little heretical to artistic integrity, right? Like the idea is that an artist chooses, you know, whether it's one artistic vision or many artistic visions to make a movie come to life. The idea is that you know it is meant to be presented in a certain way. You know, Tim, you you got me on this philosophy twenty five or thirty years ago on the on the philosophy of movies were meant to be shown in their full format, not cropped down for your four by three television set. This is essentially the same thing. Where if they're isolating this and they're they're changing the way that the the audio range works to isolate and highlight certain things, you really are kind of changing the integrity of what they were trying to do for you. You may not have. They might not have intended for you to hear these things as crystal clearly as this may allow you to do. Yeah, that said, you know, I remember like one of the, one of my disapp- the most disappointing things for me is that you remember Laserdiscs, right? When they first oh, yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah. I remember walking through Best Buy or some or Future Shop or something like that, and the movie Backdraft was on, mm. and it was on a Laserdisc, right? And all they were playing was the Foley. Oh, right, so these guys, the audio, these guys yeah, are yeah. in a in the middle middle of a fire, like you know the scene where in the middle of the fire and the house is burning down around them. You know they're talking to each other, but you couldn't hear the dialogue. You didn't hear the background music. All you heard was the the crackling of bacon and the splitting of logs. You know, as as the place was burning down, and it was amazing. And I thought, you know, that's so cool because I don't know if you remember, like Jonathan's mother doesn't like the sound of breaking glass for long story reasons which basically means she can't watch 99 percent of the movies out there right (laughs) and so the promise was or like like you know like finding nemo like how many parents want to show their kids finding nemo but skip the first scene right because they don't want to have to go through explaining about where's her where's the mom yeah right but but so i mean the whole promise of being able to get something on a laser disc and then maybe turn off the foley or you know or just, you know, and, and the idea was you could basically decide how you wanted that, that audio to play out. I don't know, maybe they maybe they had all the, maybe they were just playing the subwoofer track or something, I don't know. But, but I've been so disappointed ever since, never getting that opportunity to choose which channels of the audio I wanted to listen to for whatever reason, right? Like, by the same token, though, like you said, I watch the... I watch all of my TV shows with, with subtitles on because, again, they just mumble too much in these things. and. So it's it's kind of like I need I need the subtitles on because, you know, I just I I have a hearing impairment and I, you know, it helps me and I don't want to blast it through the house just because I I know and like, you know, I used to watch movies at, at Jonathan's house when the boys were little and we used to the volume was practically off. And the only ways we could watch the movie and enjoy it was with subtitles, right? Yeah, for sure. No, I, I and I think that's fine, although I I still think it's it's a slippery slope from choose your own adventure on the audio file to, hey, I don't like that, uh, that you know, 16th century painting because I'm afraid of snakes. Can we take all the snakes out of the painting? You know what I mean? Like, it just well, feels yeah, like... Or, or now maybe they can take all the F-bombs out of the movies. Like, you know, when you watch a movie during the day and they, and you know, especially like I was watching something the other day. I think I wasn't watching it, but I flipped by Friday, you know, the movie yeah. Friday. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, you know, fr- the next Friday, whatever it's called. Yep. And like half of the dialogue was like blank. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and I mean, 50%. <laughs> <laughs> All the stuff that makes the movie awesome. 
Well, that's what I mean. But and sometimes you see like a movie, and they and they go in and they get a, a sound like actor to go in and do the. Oh, there was the yeah, name gosh, of Gosh darn it! Yeah, and they change the words, and you're like, "There's no way!" Like that doesn't even <laughs> make sense, right? But the but you know, like like maybe now you could do AI I, again. There's there's too much AI right now. Like I'm really I'm really not on the I'm. Part of, like from a technical point of view, I think the AI use of AI is amazing. It's a fantastic, but I don't like what they're doing with art with mm. it. Right? I mean, and I mean, I don't mean art. I mean just music. Like today, like they took the they had the song by the Weekend and the Drake. I heard it last a couple of days ago. You know, this apparently somebody used AI to make a fake, you know, Weekend Drake song, and it. I, I mean, I wouldn't have known. I could tell it was kind of wasn't real, but I would never have known it wasn't really them personally, because I don't follow either of those two guys, right? Mm-hmm. But it's been taken off the air, and it's been taken off streaming services today. Like, who's got pockets deep enough to make that happen? First question. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, it's just, there's just too much AI right now. Yeah. I'm not, I, you know, I'm suspicious of this, right? Although, that said, you know, maybe we could have a version of Finding Nemo where, you know, or Bambi doesn't get shot, or Bambi's mom doesn't get shot, or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's important that we coddle help. our kids more. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just maybe we'll change all the news that's on the news. Oh, I, here we go. See, yeah. <laughs> I thought um, I thought you were segueing me perfectly into the the last thing we have for our headlines uh, when you were talking about. I kind of sort of was, I guess. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good, good, sort of walking us backwards. There. So, uh, for those of you who are up on the Mandalorian, uh, the second last episode, so last week's episode, garnered a lot of uh, attention. This is the episode that was titled The Spies. Uh, so, this episode to uh, chapter 23, uh, or episode 7 of this season. There is a moment where... Grogu and Din are introduced to the IG-12 robot by the Anzellians who have, have, have rebuilt it. And when the Anzellian walks past Grogu, there's a funny line which we highlighted, which is, you know, bad baby, no squeezy, because we saw, obviously, in a previous episode, uh, Grogu tries to hug the Anzellians because they're one of the cuter things in the universe, and they're even smaller than he is. But as he's walking away, the Anzellian is mumbling, and there's no audible dialogue. It just says, speaks Anzellian, but <laughs> it sounds like he says, I'm out, MFR, but not using MF or actually saying it. I mean, when you play that clip, and it's made its way all over the social, you do not have to look hard to find it. Damned if they're not right, it sounds an awful lot like that's what he says. Yeah, mm-hmm. but by the same token, though, it's it's kind of like playing playing. We used to play our records back in the seventies, and you know, uh, play them backwards, right? And 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 people would like imagine what they were saying. I I listened to it a few times, and kind of kind of listened. To it. I, I I think he's speaking Anzellian, but <laughs> you're right. It does sound a lot like he's saying, you know, the M- MF bomb, right? Yeah. What do you think, Jaime? I listened to the embedded tweets that they had from uh, the Mandalorian show, and. It really does sound like they they took somebody recording that and then tried to make it sort of blur into like baby babble to try to yeah. cover it up a little bit so it wouldn't be actual cursing. But it's so close that it, I feel like it has to be intentional. Yeah, they didn't. They did not deny it. They, there hasn't been a well. We never said that. Like it, 
Usually when there's something like that, they'll respond and say, oh, no, no, people are imagining things. There's been no response that I've seen. Maybe there, maybe somewhere out there, someone asks someone related to the, to the, uh, to the product, but I haven't seen anybody deny that this is the case either. But I just thought when I saw this come up, I didn't hear it in the moment because I'm sure as like everyone else, you're just sort of focused on, oh, they're going to put Grogu in a robot suit. Let's see how that works out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, when you see it in slow. Coffee cups in front of the, the Dragon Queen notwithstanding, I think that they spend a lot of time editing these shows and re-editing these shows. I cannot imagine that they didn't know that sounded like what it sounded like and that somebody didn't say, hey, you know, that kind of sounds like. <laughs> but then, you know, I think there's a lot of creative autonomy given to Dave Filoni and John Favreau on this show too. So I wonder if ultimately they were like, that's pretty funny. Let's just leave it in. No one will catch it. And of course, everyone got it. Well, we've had some F-bombs on, on Picard, right? Which we were surprised by. Yeah, it's, right? it seems Initially. like Modern Trek, it's starting it. with Discovery in 2017, has kind of never shied away from, from uh, course language. Although it is, when you see it in Discovery, it's one thing, because obviously these are all new characters. It's when you come back to something, you revisit something like Picard, where we established, yeah, well, yeah, we established these characters, we know these characters, we know them from classic, you know, 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s Trek. It definitely catches you more off guard, where you're like, what did Riker just say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they haven't done, they haven't done any F-bombs in any of the Mandalorian or... No. Or any, like, course language in... in, in book of Bob boba fett or obi-wan kenobi so yeah that that's why it doesn't seem to fit with amelia right well that that we know of they could be swearing in in numerous uh alien languages that we don't of know. course yeah yeah of course of course those anzelians they're salty little buggers yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well speaking of salt that brings us to the part of the show where we talk about something star trek related and this time it is star trek picard season three episode 10 the last generation you know, cue the music, which is pretty much what I said throughout this entire show. But then they didn't. But then they kind of they they kind of got you know they did like two bars and then they changed right. So yeah, did you notice the uh, the the weird new the Star Trek branding label they put on this one? Mm, no. So at the beginning of of Trek now, just like they do at the beginning of Star Wars, they have a Star Wars branding label on the front of the Disney Plus shows that shows the little helmets go by and says Star Wars. In this case, it's the same thing where they do the Star Trek where you see the ship fly past and they play the little da 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 and it's Star Trek. In this case, not only was it the Enterprise D in this one, but then it's the music kind of gets all funky and it starts to turn Borgified. So, oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. I didn't notice. Yes, yeah. yes, that's true. Yeah, and it was the D this time, it wasn't the, the it wasn't the original <laughs> Constitution class, it was it was the D, the big D, the big D, yeah, the big D was in this one a lot, the fat one, you know, the big D, mm hmm, insert mm -hmm. other, another penis joke in here, yeah, and it starts with an Easter egg, right? Anton Chekhov, Anton Chekhov, yes, well, and played by played by Walter Koenig, I checked the credit, yep, and it's. It's not, so theoretically, it's supposed to be Chekhov's son. We we assume, yes. but the yeah. fact that they gave him uh, Anton as the first name obviously is a nice, nice, uh, classy move as well. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, Anton Yelchkin playing the younger, revamped Kelvin Universe version of Chekhov, and of course, tragically passing away a few years ago. So, a nice way to sort of tie it all together there. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. I may elevator pitch. I went with the uh, simple and sweet. All good things must come to an end. Well, all good, all good <laughs> things was uh, was was one finale, right? It was. Mine was another kid on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack, get off the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, after 35 years, it's finally closing time for the crew of the Enterprise-D, and boy, do they go out with a bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was, uh, this was, uh, as, as, we, as we were joking on our Slack channel this week, this was Hold My Synthahol, synth right? They kind of had a lot of stuff to wrap up, although it wasn't quite as, they, because they had already resolved the whole sort of changeling Vatic thing a few episodes back. This really was, I think, a little cleaner as far as, you know, we, we talked about the sort of finale problem that Disney Plus suffers from. We talked about the finale problem in some of these other series. Uh, even Star Trek Discovery has suffered from this a little bit. In this case, I don't feel like it was off pace. Do you guys agree? Yeah, and it was it was pretty it was a pretty good episode. I mean, um, a long longer than it felt longer than than I expected. So, it, it you know, I did check it. It was uh, roughly around an hour, I think. Right? Yeah, it was a little over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, because I mean, because the the there was a lot of rollout at the end there, um, which always reminds me of the you know the the several chapters at the end of um, Lord of the Rings. So that was trilogy. the first joke I saw this morning. I have a friend who watches these shows as soon as they come online at like three in the morning. So I woke up this morning at uh, you know eight o'clock in the morning, and I saw the uh, the joke that he had put on was. This thing, this, you know, Picard ends really well. Just be prepared for more endings than a Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and, uh, well, do we do spoilers for this episode? What do you think? I think you gotta. This is just a spoiler extravaganza. Yeah, because I can't even say the next thing without spoiling. So, folks, if you haven't watched the episode, this is the part where you either come back next week or two weeks from now, whenever it is, or or skip ahead to the Mandalorian, unless you haven't seen that one. In which case, just skip to the to the <laughs> the, the watch list and maybe the after show. Maybe the after show, possibly the after show. Possibly, we really yeah, we, we spoil anything. stuff there too. Sorry, kids. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, this is your this is your last warning. I was going to say, what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say now. Oh no, no, yeah, the 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 very the teaser at the very very end of the show, but we can we can get to that. Yeah. Because yeah, even this one had. To be continued at the end, right? Yep. So, to I mean, in a nutshell, this episode was, you know, they had to stop the fleet that had been Borgified from trashing Space Dock, the Planetary Shield, and killing everyone on Earth. And in order to do that, they basically had to go and unplug Jack from the Collective. And so we get this sort of, how are they going to do this? And it, it, they really did a decent job. I was, I was wondering, you know... I thought to myself, there's, there's, it's highly unlikely that they would kill Picard again because they did that. You know, we, we joked about that and the, the end of the first season of Picard was, I wonder if they'll really kill Picard. And then they did. And of course, they resurrected him immediately. But uh, I wondered if they were going to try and give us a little red herring Picard saying goodbye to everybody. He's going to die in this one go out with, you know, a bang. And it occurred to me that there would probably be some good closure in that, given, obviously, Patrick Stewart's age. And just, it would be fitting to have a bookend where, you know, he goes out the hero or whatever. And they kind of definitely walk you down that road of, like, this might be the end for some of these characters. This might be the last time you see these people. This, this You know, we got them all back together. We can kill them all. But in the end, yeah. of course, it's not not the way it plays out and it's certainly not necessary as part of the story to do that 
but uh, but they did do, do a decent job of. There's that one scene where they they Riker and Worf and uh, and Picard are leaving the bridge, and of course that you know everyone's kind of looking at each other like, is this the last time we're going to see each other? Is this you know? And they, they you know they make even make a point of saying like you know final farewell lines a couple times, and then yeah, when Picard is down there on the Borg uh, transmitter cube. And sort of says to them, you know, I love you guys and sort of disappears. You get another moment where you're like, somebody, somebody going to bite it? Like, this is pretty, this is pretty foreshadowing. But uh, yeah, I guess they felt like that would not be ultimately a satisfying ending. So they didn't go that route. Yeah, they did it a couple of times where they had even Worf saying, Worf and Riker checking, is is this a good day to die or whatever? Yeah. By the way, can we call it the Borg pirate station, pirate radio station? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You, I was kind of hoping, I got to say, before we get too far, I was kind of hoping that Agnes would show up and help out. I Yeah, know, I Agnes. thought that was a, uh, an ultimately very frustrating and confusing part of the whole... Yeah. We talked about it a little bit last week, the whole, oh, nobody's seen the Borg in X number of years. I'm like, we saw them at the end of last mm-hmm. season. Last week, yeah. And there was, a, it seemed like they were, you know, um, a happier collective. But in this one, they sort of go back to the Alice Krieg... Borg Queen, and it's yeah. definitely much more sort of played as if that last season didn't happen. Yeah, and that, yeah, that was kind of and the continuity between the three seasons was kind of weird in that sense, right? Like, and that's why we all got psyched out of not thinking the Borg was the big bad here because they were the big good at the end of last season, right? Yep. And yeah. when we get into our final part of this they episode, were Disney, she was a Disney princess last. Season. No, it was wrong. wrong. <laughs> no, Paramount. No, it's Paramount Princess. Paramount Princess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jaime, did you uh, did did this? Did, did you fall for any of this? Did you feel like maybe maybe this is it for one of these people? I was concerned. I didn't think Picard would go out because I felt like they had already uh, you know used that card. Um, but I did wonder if they were gonna you know end somebody because the the newer series tend to like to do that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, they, they thought differently. And I think for this episode, looking back at it, I'm like, okay, I, I see the structure they went with. They at least learned from the end of Voyager that like, you can't end with 30 seconds to go and like, all right, everybody's good. They, they gave these guys a little bit of unwinding. I don't know. They probably had like 15, 20 minutes left after the mm-hmm. main conflict to resolve to, to go through, you know, what happened here? What happened a year later? Set up new stuff. The the you know the episode is uh, sort of backdoor pilots for other shows potentially <laughs> a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, but I, I did feel like mm, I think they may not make it. Uh, you know somebody might not make it, but uh, it didn't didn't turn out that way. So they they had me feeling it, but I think I was sort of prepped for that because they've they've used that that uh, they pulled that card out other places too yeah i think the closest thing was the moment where picard realizes that in order to get jack disconnected he's gonna have to go in and he self-assimilates himself by by jabbing a a nano uh tube into his neck so that he can go inside and try and talk jack out of this which you know it's a strange thing the way that they write and rewrite and rewrite how these things work you know the idea that you know that is not Newborg. 
the the Borg in your DNA stuff. This is old school Borg. So he jams this thing in his neck, which theoretically is filled with, you know, Borg nanoprobes that immediately go in and, and rewrite your system and everything else. Now you can make a million extrapolations based on logic saying, well, okay, maybe because he was previously a Borg, maybe blah, 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 blah. But wouldn't, you know, like when he pulls the, when Jack sort of comes back out of it and he pulls the tube out of his neck and then all of a sudden the, the Borg nanobots just seem to like erase themselves from Picard's face. I was like, yeah. wait, what? And also, aren't you sort of a robot? Like, I don't know. You kind of have to. You kind of have to take a little bit of of you know a leap of faith with some of this stuff for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's not really human anymore, is he? And and by the same token, is Data human now? I don't. I'm I'm confused. I, I mean, it's I guess the, yeah. I guess both of them are kind of tweeners, right? They're sort of organic, yeah. more or less on the outside, and and sort of deep inside, they're they're cybernetic beings. Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing the Federation's got you know come to terms with. Synth- synthetics right (laughs) yeah probably for the best yeah i mean i must say when they were telegraphing all these potential deaths the one that i I was thinking when data's like i'm going down there and they're like no you stay here i was like yeah data there's no chance that there's any risk you're gonna die you've already died twice yeah yeah they're not gonna kill you a third time that would be lazy writing well you needed them to drive the big d too though right that's true it's true somebody's (laughs) somebody's gotta get the big d out and (laughs) attack God, those jokes are just never going to get tired. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, and again, like I feel like that was the fun thing about this episode. Everybody got a moment, right? It's funny, my wife is... Uh, she watched Star Trek because her sister's a big Star Trek fan, but never, she's never really been a huge one. Uh, and she watched a little bit of, of this series with me, but not much. And I came upstairs after watching this episode and she said uh so was it you know was it good and i said yeah it was overall you know pretty satisfying and uh i said you know everybody lives and and you know it's it's good the way that it worked out that way and she sort of said you know yeah it's it's um definitely uh well i don't know where it's going with that (laughs) she said it was uh yeah she said like the the oh the character talking about legacy she said, yeah, the legacy of those characters, you know, she said it's amazing that they were able to bring like all of the original actors back, obviously, with the exception of Will Wheaton, but they were able to bring them all back. And I said, yeah, you know, at a certain point, there's got to be a part of all of these performers who are, who are probably all of them. I'm trying to think of anything like maybe Patrick Stewart might be also better known as Pat, uh, Professor X in the X-Men movies, but I don't think so. But he was he was better known as uh, I mean he was in Camelot he's been in a few things no but I mean um, his his claim when when they write his obit in the New York Times yeah, when no, he passes away be, he's gonna he'll be, be Jean Luc yeah. Picard probably before anything else and I think yeah. that's true of every performer in this show but I think at a certain point you know she was saying well it's amazing they were able to get them back I said well one thing I bet they backed up a lot of money for some of these actors but beyond yeah. that like you've got to think that there's a part of you that is just like. This is the last time I'm probably going to do this. I want the legacy of my character to be something special. And they kind of, over the course of this series, gave them all a real moment. You know, nobody really fell through the cracks. The only one that I was a little disappointed in over the course of 10 episodes was Worf. I kind of thought they played him a little one note. And he was funny, and he's always... I mean, Michael Dorn's a great performer, but I kind of felt like they never gave him more than that superficial you know, cracking one-liners thing for this series to do. 
but everybody else really had an arc, you know, even, even Jordy who came into the series late, you know, more towards the end, still got a whole thing with, you know, his daughters and their relationship and, and then reconnecting with data and, you know, of course, bringing data back and letting Brent sort of show off his humor. And I feel like everybody kind of got a moment in the sun to really show how much they are all good actors that their characters are really mm-hmm. rich and defined. And, you know, I, I said it in my, in my uh, pitch for this episode, 36 years since TNG started. That's a legacy. That's a long time. This show is going to outlive all of these people. And bringing them back as part of that is just, they, you know, they care about their characters. They want to come back and have your last impression of them not be Star Trek freaking nemesis. They want to come back and have you go, oh yeah, God, that last series was great. And these people were great. And I love these characters. And that's what this show is going to be for me. This is a happy ending for these people who I love. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and just to, for the fact check, a couple of things. Um, uh, he was in Excalibur originally, right. and that's, he's probably known for that. And he was also one of the Guys in Dune, the original Dune yep. one that they did back in the eighties before that's before the next generation. Yep. Um and uh and of course uh um LeVar Burton was Kunta Kinte in the in Roots, right? Well and Reading Rainbow. So, I, I mean, mean geez, Reading Rainbow is the No no, yeah. I mean Reading Rainbow came after. Oh true, true, he true, 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 true. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm just talking about I'm talking about like where these guys came from. The, otherwise the rest of the actors were, you know, they were like bit players. I mean, they weren't really known for anything beyond this, right? I mean, Brent Spiner had a, a recurring role on Night Court where, in which he was quite very funny. I, yeah, but I, was it before yep. Next Generation? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. And then, and then, um, yeah, because he played that hick or something yes, like that, Yes, he right? did. Yes. The Wheelers. But, yeah. Uh, and, Bob Wheeler. And the other fact check was that uh, um, Walter Koenig is 86 yeah. years old. So, yeah. Probably the oldest person that was on the show. Well, I don't well know. Patrick Stewart's got to be in his early 80s. Close to Patrick Stewart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Checking his age right now. But yeah, it's it interesting that they, they brought somebody back from the original series for this one, too. Right? Well, I'm, and we got Tim Russ back as Tuvok, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that was a nice moment, too, series. for... They did sort of dance around Voyager. I, I gotta admit, the part that I kind of yeah. found surprising in all this is that we didn't get uh, Janeway. I, I'm genuinely Janeway, yeah, surprised. That too. Over the course of this 10 episodes, I thought for sure we or would Neelix. see... Where's Neelix? He stayed behind. He stayed behind the Delta Quadrant, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, did he? He oh, did. Okay. Yeah, he stayed mm-hmm. behind. But I mean, th- that's not to say he couldn't have, in all this time, made it back to the to the Alpha Quadrant. But I really felt like if you're gonna bring back Seven for this whole run, which they've done, yeah, and you're gonna yeah. show us the Voyager at one point, and you're gonna bring back Tim Russ, you know, maybe they yeah. brought back Tim Russ because, uh, you know she didn't want to do it or i don't know but it's um yeah it's kind of interesting i i really kind of oh, was waiting true, for that yeah. she seemed like she would have fit that role that that p- part where we saw tuvok you know for the two scenes that he was in it probably could have just as easily been her but yeah true yeah garrett wang was was busy that day but he's a good foil to to seven because he's he sort of helped her yeah yeah become human again right yeah and it was nice that uh, that we got a little PS from Shaw in there too, right? Because I think all of us really like that character, and yeah, having Shaw, Tuvok yeah. sort of show the last, you know, uh, crew evaluation for for Seven as the sort of ending note, because there was this sort of conflict at the beginning between Shaw and and Seven, and you know they're not getting along, but then you find out, you know. Over the course of this, and especially with this little PS that you know he really did admire her and think that she was something special. 
it, it was a nice way to sort of give his character a, a better send off than getting shot in the chest and dying, right? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Was Raffi part of Star Trek? I mean, Federation? Yes, she was. Well, she theoretically she was. I don't know if we're calling them Section Thirty One the at this point, but she was a spy. Oh, okay. She was a spy for because uh, that's that's the the sort of when everybody's getting their happy ending in that uh, post Borg conflict. Her happy ending is that uh, somebody somebody Worf uh, has released oh, all yes. of her commendations and medals for being this amazing spy to her family, so that she gets the happy ending of. Because she, especially at the beginning, they, she was, again, another character that really didn't get a lot of good play in this series. You never really get a satisfying... They they play her up a little bit when she's really angsting over this attack, and she's working for Worf, but she doesn't know it. But she got lost in the shuffle bad over the last three or four episodes. Like, once mm -hmm. once you got Data back and Jordy back and everything else, it's like, oh, I forgot Rafi was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was nice that they still gave her the sort of happy ending of, and her, you know, her estranged son wants to reconnect, and she gets to meet her granddaughter, and, and Worf did this for her, did the solid for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah Worf has some, uh, grows and has tears, and because uh, doesn't Troy at one point say to something about his growth, or where she, or was she talking about Data? Yeah, I remember the line, but I think that might have been about... Well, um, Worf, Worf makes a joke at one point saying, having never personally cried. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, from the Easter egg point of view, there was quite a few. I mean, they mm -hmm. they ended with an Easter egg, in my opinion, you know, like. Yeah, it's kind of bookended with, with Easter eggs. We, we get Chekhov to start and we get, uh, you know, uh, the, the Q stuff at the John end. John Delancey. Yeah. yeah. Let's call it John Delancey. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, for my Easter eggs, I, I obviously the Chekhov thing, uh, Data recycling the joke. There once was a lady from Venus, uh, which oh, yeah. he says yeah. at one point in, in the TNG series when they're like, nope. Uh, the speech, the little toast that Picard gives, is uh, it's extrapolated from Julius Caesar, the Shakespeare play, of course. And um, and the poker game, of course. Too, game. I was telling Carol. Carol came through when when that scene was on, and I kind of explained to her the significance of the fact that they ended this show with a poker game where Picard joins them, and that's how they ended the Next Generation, right? Yep. Because they mm -hmm. had the floating floating officers game that he never took place, in, right? Well, and he makes a point of saying in this episode to Jack, "I always kept myself at bay. I always kept myself, you know, slightly disconnected, Picard. and mm. sort of to show." His growth, I think, to end it on that note was, I think, really quite poignant. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have anything else for your so, Easter eggs? I didn't have any other Easter eggs. Uh, I did get the the Anton Chekhov President one. Um, I didn't have any there. I, I did, you know, there's lots of pew 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 here. Oh yeah. Into that, uh, I just decided to use the the quote, which I believe it's Picard quote, and I believe it's from Encounter at Farpoint. I'd have to double check that. Which is uh, let's see what this galaxy class starship can do, and they, mm. <laughs> they do some stuff. And and Deanna Troy much maligned for uh, <laughs> you know crashing the uh, the saucer section. Um, she she pulls out some moves here, right? She she helps out. So yep, uh, yeah. I uh, for my pew pew pew, I definitely highlighted that moment when everybody's in an unfamiliar position. I I thought it was really interesting because of course Data's piloting, so he's in his normal spot that we're used to from TNG. Yep. But Jordy, yeah. But Jordy's in the command seat, which is a cool moment because we rarely get to see him as the leader, right? You know, he's down in engineering doing his thing. To see him in that seat it was I got a little 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 wistful for that. A little misty eyed. A little but, misty eyed. But the 
the part is when Dr. Crusher is standing at, you know, the tactical spot where we're used to seeing Worf. And, of course, Worf's this warrior, and she's, of course, this nurturing, caring doctor. And they're like, okay, you know, I didn't get the weapon systems online. You're going to have to do this yourself. And she just turns into this, like, you know, torpedo, phaser-firing badass. So I I wrote it down as Crusher to death. She basically just goes in there and starts just blasting. And everybody turns around and looks at her because she goes, it's been a long 20 years. You know, lots happened. Yeah, yeah, lots happened yeah. over the last twenty years. I thought that was was both a really fun pew 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 and also uh, a pretty funny line for her. Yeah, um, I was going to say in terms of Easter eggs, we didn't talk about this much last couple of episodes, but or last episode in this episode is that the names of the ships, right, that appear on the screens. There's a whole bunch of uh, like I've seen them online. There's a whole bunch of names named like the ships are all named after you know people in the show and different um you know places they've been and mm-hmm. stuff like that right so yeah yeah, yeah you last can, week you we said it was the pulaski or was one of them right that was one of the mm-hmm. ships and yeah 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 um for the quotes there was i mean you could have written down this whole episode it was just filled like i at one point i was i started writing stuff down i was just like i give up i can't like there's too many <laughs> they they were saving like the the you know the jar of great quotes for the end i wrote down a couple uh, you know, mm-hmm. Picard's line, what began 35 years ago ends tonight. Again, I just thought that was really good because it highlights that it, the, it's, yeah, it's been over 35 years since we, we sort of started on this journey with this crew. And I thought, again, that was just a really nice way to bring that back, both for the characters it's and also for the, the stars, actors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> when, when, when Worf says, you know, uh, he's going to go with Riker and Picard and says, and I will join you for a threesome. And Riker says, do you even hear yourself? Yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. that was, yeah. but again, like I, I, he got so many, the, the interaction between those two was fun, but it just felt like it was played a little too much. You know, he became kind of the butt of the jokes for the, a lot of the season. Uh, when Worf and, and Riker are down there, you seem oddly disappointed that you're not outnumbered when they go down and they find most of the Borg dead. And uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. Uh, Troy, when, when Data is, is, is doing his Death Star run, which, come on, that was basically the, the scene from Return of the Jedi when they're racing through the canyons and, you know, pew-pew-pewing their way into the center of the Death Star. That's essentially what Data was doing with the D. Um, and, and can I just throw one more in for you since we're on the big D runs here? Boy, that big D sure fit in there pretty tightly, eh? Um, mm-hmm. She says, why am I sensing enjoyment? And then they pan over and you see Brent Spiner as Data smiling while he's like programming away with his fingers. I'm disappointed they didn't go back and do the the fast forwarded finger motions like when he's doing the isolinear chips in the in the first mm-hmm. season. <laughs> I really felt like that was a missed opportunity to do the like sped up Data hands. But, yeah. Um, but he was pretty quick on some of those moves. But yeah. Yeah. They weren't blurry. They weren't blurry. Yeah. The uh, the schlocky line, which was was both schlocky and sweet, was you know you were the part of me that I never knew was missing from Picard to Jack at the, the moment that yeah. sort of breaks him again. Schlocky, but you know again it, it was it was a it, it's there it made sense. Uh, the time of the Borg is over from Jack. Ooh, I thought that was good. I mean, it, it, you guys, we can talk about this as part of a big question, but like, is this supposed to be the Borg are done? There are no more Borg. Like that's this is the bookend to to the Borg story. I don't know. I doubt it. Maybe for the OG Borg, but there's timey wimey Jurati Borg. There's XBs that we've seen. You know, clusters of uh, little collectives starting up um, in other shows. Like Chakotay ran into some in Voyager, and mm. 
and uh, the the lore led breakoffs that led to Hugh and the XBs. Like, I I wouldn't call it an end to anything Borg related, but I think maybe they were trying to put a a cap on the on the OG Borg and anything mm. we'd see going forward to be something new. Kind of kind of like the way that the Romulans are forever changed by no longer having their homeworld, right? They said, right. You know, they're they're kind of a different power now. Yeah, I. I... I need someone to explain to me how the Borg Queen came back. That felt a little Palpatine-y for me. That they, it was just like, wait a minute, didn't we see you get completely melted a few movies ago? Yeah. That, that you know, okay, sure. I'm going to say cloning. There are lots of different viable options. But to not address it was a little weird. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, though, like, like even though you destroy the... Well, mind you, you destroyed her in the past, too, right? So she would have been disconnected from the collective, That's right? it, right? But, now, again, I get the whole point of the Borg is that because they're a collective, theoretically, you can, you know, your you're consciousness... You're anywhere and everywhere and, all yeah, at once. Exactly, yeah, right. exactly, right. So, you know, of course you can extrapolate that. But even though she splits off and goes into the past, part of her would be left in the, in the current time, right? So. Yeah, so it makes sense if you sort of extrapolate the scientific logic of it, but at the same time... You just would have liked Picard to be like, didn't we kill you? Yeah, and weren't you on our side last year? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I know a Borg what Queen, and you're not yeah. the Borg Queen. You, madam, are no Borg Queen. Uh, the last quote I have was the, the Wharf one where he, he uh, Rafi basically calls him out on, you know, somebody released this information to my family, and he says, whoever leaked this information is an honorable maverick. I just like the line, honorable maverick. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of someone who's been in therapy many times in my life, you know, the the scene where Data and Troy, where he's doing a session with her and she says, we're over our time by an hour. That never would happen, which is <laughs> which I think is the joke, right? Because even in, in Ted Lasso, it doesn't matter how far you go when the hour is up, it's up, yeah. right? Time's up, Ted. Click. Well, yeah, but it would, I mean, the joke here, and for those of you who didn't catch it, is that Data just kept going, and she like, ugh, you know, couldn't get him to stop, right? Yeah, she starts shopping for beach vacations. He finally realizes that he's, he's way over his time, and he apologizes and leaves, and as he leaves, you know, like, Riker looks at her and goes, still bat bleep? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so my big question, based on, obviously, the the the, f- the final PS post-credits sting scene we got in here... Mm. You know, I, I think it's very, time. I think it's time Marvel. we break into yeah. this. So you know, we do the one year later, and part of the one year later is that uh, you know they take Admiral Crusher and Admiral Picard uh, are taking their son to school, and they they drop him mm-hmm. at his new at his new school, and it happens to be the Titan, which is now renamed the Enterprise G. Uh, yes, I was waiting for it to be called the OG just because I thought that was pretty funny because it's the <laughs> retro style one too. Well, again, the fact that in 35 years they've only gone to the letter G, that I don't just... Yeah. 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 Anyway. Uh, so they they drop him off, and he looks like he only has one pip, but, you know, pretty good for a year, especially when he was like the almost the doom of, you know, the Sol system. It's pretty impressive that he was able to not only get into well, Starfleet... he does mention and, nepotism too, right? Yeah, it's, for sure. It's impossible. Kid. For sure. He's two admirals for parents, right? And, and of course, from there we go into the, you know... And not only is he on board this new ship, but the you know captain is seven. The number one is Raffi. The helms person is Sidney LaForge. And you know Jack is is you know trying to figure out where he fits in. Strange that he doesn't already have a job on the ship. They're just like, you sit here next to me. You're the special counselor. I'm like, wait a minute. He's the Troy. 
<laughs> and they kind of set it up as, you know, oh, so this is, you know, the Enterprise never really dies. Just because the one crew has moved on, that there's always going to be an Enterprise. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be another crew. It's obviously, it's very well set up that way. And then, of course, we get the the post credit. And it doesn't matter how bad the show is, there will always be an Enterprise. Exactly, right. So they... Of course, do that, and we're you know we're left wondering what uh, what sevens make the ship go now phrase is, which is obviously mm-hmm. a nice little little cliffhanger there. But the big one is that they you know you're supposed to for the moment think well you know that's nice that there's sort of while this is the end of the next generation, there's always a next next generation because that's how these things go. And then they give us the post post credit scene, which is Q popping up in Jack's quarters and saying. Your your father's trial is over, but yours has just begun, which, mm-hmm. you know, should we be waiting for tomorrow when they announce, you know, Star Trek, the next, next generation? Yeah. Boy, you hit a lot well, of the They already called this pilots. one the last generation, right? It, it's funny that unprompted and separately here that Jonathan has hit a lot of my backdoor pilots that I wrote down. So the next, next <laughs> generation was on there. Uh, I'm going to say... Um, you know, Star Trek Q is uh, the next one on there. You, yeah. you talked about uh, Captain Seven, uh, and I tossed in here Enter Pal, uh, Captain Tuvok with special guest Admiral Janeway. You know, just <laughs> yeah. right, pencil it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I Star mean, Star Trek Seven. It, it opens yeah. a lot of doors to continue in in potentially more fan servicey ways than Discovery, obviously, which is coming to an end. Or, but I mean, Strange New Worlds is a little fan servicey, but it's. <sighs> And I say this, Tim, with love and respect. A lot of the people who would have been like uh, Captain Pike old school fans are getting a little older. So that's kind of sort of a little bit of a, of a long time Trek fan thing. But it's also kind of a new thing. But this one, in the same way that the Picard series all along has been pretty fan servicey, the potential for, you know, another LaForge, another Crusher slash Picard, you know, Seven, Raffi, it, it does kind of all t- tie together in a nice bow for, you know, uh, the potentially very fan-satisfying next series if they decide to, to actually pursue that. I can't imagine they would go to the extent of putting in a John Delancey cameo and not intend to fulfill that. That just seems odd that they would do that and not do a movie or a mini series or or who knows maybe even another five year tv series you're gonna go back and watch that did they dh john delancey a bit no he looked very similar to what he looked like when we saw him white-haired and all in mm-hmm. in the he second white-haired. season he was he was white-haired in second season was he okay. well because he she, no i mean in this in today he was or, or he wearing a hat or whatever no no he's, okay. he, he was he his hair was much more closer cropped but it was it was white he, yeah, and of course, Jack calls him on and is like, didn't you die? Which, again, is what they should have said to the, the poor queen. But, uh, you know, and he says, oh, stop thinking so linearly. I, uh, yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder if uh, this is something in the near term or long term that they're going to look at. I wonder if they've, you know, you'd think they would have already signed some of these people to contracts if they intended to come back and do more, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Would you be excited for the next next generation or would you would that be sort of you know top of a list of things you'd want to watch or is that sort of like eh, i don't know well i think like discovery tried to do as a reboot right i think i think they'll do another reboot of some type right um 
you know, like, cause they're, they're trying to do that with uh, Prodigy. They're trying to do that with, well, I, they, I mean, the problem with Strange New Worlds is we know that Pike has an ending. Unless they, like, you know, they they, they did imply one with the with a timey-wimey episode, this, or like a decision, butterfly wing kind of decision in, in the last series. But we know that this Captain Pike has an end, right? So they can't carry on with him. We know where all the characters who are on that, that particular enterprise end up, right? So, it, it, I mean, as franchises go, I guess they, they kind of sort of got to spin it off. I mean, you know, if we, like, you're t- you're asking us, and you're the comic book guy, you know that <laughs> that that these, like, they spin it out, they, they you know, the, the, the adopted son becomes the, the next bat guy, you know? Yeah, kind of although thing, in right? the comics, they don't have to, right? Because nobody ages if they don't want them to. But right. in TV shows, I think this is about as, as sort of legacy-y as you can get, right? I mean, short of having, you know, President Chekhov's uh, grandson join the crew, you know, they really are kind of building on the legacy of, of what's come before. It, yeah. Well, there's also nothing to stop them from doing like they do with Sherlock Holmes or Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple, where they have another actor play the same character. I mean, why? What, what's to stop them from doing an original series again? Yeah, no, I, I suppose that's true. I wonder if, uh, you know, I listened to a really good episode. You, you uh, Obviously, Tim, you'll know uh, Alan Cross's great podcast uh, and, and radio show, Ongoing History of New Music. Mm-hmm. His episode this last week was a fascinating look at how artists are selling their song publishing rights. It was a great episode, really fascinating about just why an artist would choose to to cash out on their publishing rights for songs they've written, the music that they've written, uh, all these different pieces. And it made me think, I wonder if as part of some of these contracts, there are likeness rights ones. Now, I know that obviously there are to a certain extent. It's, it says, that, you know, you can, we can use your license in comic books. It says we can use your license in cartoons. It says we can use your, your likeness in, uh, you know, any number of properties, video games, action figures, whatever. You do sign your likeness away when you join a franchise like Star Trek or Star Wars or things like that. That's a no-brainer. But I wonder if they are starting to get to that point where they're already thinking about, you know, hey, we have now licensed in perpetuity the likeness of Brent Spiner's face so that if we decide one day that we have the technology and we already know from from the James Earl Jones voice stuff that you can sell your vocal rights, I wonder if we're going to start more and more seeing, yeah, we don't have to recast. We're just going to do a CGI Brent Spiner with a with an auto AI voice that sounds like mm-hmm. Brent Spiner and data's in this show forever. Yeah. Yeah. But, but but then you know that's the, the what's to stop them from not even having actors anymore, right? Well, I mean, in theory, there is an uncanny value on this stuff. Still, we're not there yet, but sure, down the road, if the if the technology improves to the point where you get a flawless performance out of a computer generated person and you can generate their voice, I mean. If you don't think you're watching an animated movie when you're watching a Marvel movie in the theaters, you are fooling yourself. There are huge swaths of those movies that do not exist. They are not real. There are, you know, huge moments where you're like, wow, look at Spider-Man. Go by. And there goes Iron Man. That's all cartoons, kids. Sorry to break it to you. It's just really good cartoons. So why not? Why not? The hardest thing to do is is real human faces emoting and things like that. That's the hard part, right? You can always do somebody in a mask. You can always do somebody as an alien. The hard stuff is to do real people and make them look authentic like they are emoting like a human being and moving their faces in, in authentic ways. But we're getting there. So 
Yeah, I mean, you don't have to you don't have to plan for the next next generation. You could just recycle the current generation over and over and over again. You know, I penciled in a prequel series, right? Because everybody loves those. But you go back far enough in time, kind of like you know, House of the Dragon, into uh, Worf's family past. Hmm. So I wrote it down as Moog One because I was in that sort of mood. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jaime. That's awesome. <laughs> Are you talking about him being being raised by his Russian adopted human parents? No, I'm talking about the uh, the first or or one, uh, you know, the the number one, the first Moog for House of Moog. You know, before he was House of Martok or adopted by House of Martok, he was uh, Worf, son of Moog. Mm-hmm. House of Moog. Well, and we did see he, we saw Michael Dorn play his ancestor right in Star Trek Six, right? So, I mean, you can go even yeah. further back and. Yeah, do all kinds of stuff like that. I yeah, I mean, if they don't if they don't do any more prequels, I'm fine. Uh, and that goes not just for Star Trek for everything ever, but you're right. Like there's no reason why you couldn't go and explore a lot of stuff when you have a world where you can uh you can really do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot of rich tapestry in, you know, 70 years of Star Trek. You can really go a lot of places, right? So are you guys sitting down? Uh-huh. Do you you know that this the the book Tinker, Ta- Tinker Taylor to Soldier Spy. Yeah. It was originally a TV series in Britain starring Alec Guinness mm-hmm. and Patrick Stewart. Oh, I didn't realize oh, he was in that. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I mean, he was a bit part, but yeah, but he was in it. Interesting. Alec Guinness was the star of that. Yeah. Huh. My worlds are colliding. I can't handle it. I know. Speaking of colliding words, it's The Mandalorian, end of the season three, chapter 24, The Return. Okay, the question is, but which return? Because there's like 27 <laughs> returns in this show. The return of the not Jedi Mandalorian Return robot. of G11. <laughs> return of Mandalore. Return of the, you know, yeah. Yeah. And the Ginsu knife was the only casualty. You mean the coolest saber of all the sabers they've ever done? I know. And all these saber things. <laughs> and snaps with a, like it just snapped in half. Like what is up with that? Yeah. If only Grogu had stayed and completed his Jedi training, could fix that thing. True. That's true. Or was that Harry Potter? Are you mixing things again now? Yeah, really. All right. Uh, elevator pitch. The Mandalorians have finally reclaimed their home world, and Din isn't allowed to live there for, you know, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I had an elevator pitch for this one. Lots of, lots of amazing pew-pew. Yeah. I, mm. I was simple with this one. I put the final battle with Moff Gideon, question mark. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, because we didn't see him really, you know. You don't see a body. He's got Iron Man armor. Uh, yeah. Well, and do we know that this is, in fact, the same Moth Gideon? I think you're supposed to infer from the way that he is angry at Din in the yeah. battle that True. he yeah. had not completed his mad scientist plan. The part that, well, I we'll get into the deep, the depths of this, but the part I didn't understand is he knows Din is coming. He knows Din mm-hmm. is going to try and find him. Yeah. He says, I'll deal with them my, uh, myself, or I'll take care of yeah. it myself, which is very Darth Vader. And then yeah. he somehow goes into like some sort of anti-chamber where he's not actually looking for Din and allows Din to go in there and scorch all of his clones. Yeah. What was Gideon doing? Was he just like, I, he had an upset stomach? He had to use the, the little, little moth's room or what? Like what? What was he doing for that whole stretch? Because he says, I will deal with him myself. And then he 
doesn't at all. He basically yeah. never leaves the room that he's in, and then Din mm-hmm. goes in, has a huge fight with a bunch of Praetorians, gets past all of them, kills all the clones. Like, what was Gideon doing? No idea. You're right. That does. It. That was. It. I kept thinking that as as he was getting closer and closer. I mean, they had the barriers from from Phantom Menace, which I'm sure you enjoyed. That was yeah. That was Mace Drag Hunt. Yeah. The, the laser gates. <laughs> oh, okay. Turn the gates off. Laser Turn gate. the gates off. Yes. Yeah. And then of course you know uh, was R R five I guess. Yeah. R five D four. Yeah. Um, R five gets a sub for uh, for. Um... So I got to talk about these mouse droids. I've talked about them before, okay? Because <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but like you got to like radio controlled cars in 1977 were these really weird things you could buy. They were, and that's literally what that first mouse droid was. They just they just took the top off and put that sort of you know toaster looking thing on top of it and and made it into one of the droids. They drove forward, and they only when if you wanted to turn left, you had to drive backwards. Mm. Right, so they they didn't turn right; they only turned left, but they only turned when they went backwards. So if you want, go back and watch a New Hope, notice that the the droid goes forward, and then when it turns, it goes back and turns left, and then goes forward. Right. Mm. So I mean, these ones, the ones in this show, obviously these are the twenty twenty three versions, and blah 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 blah. They're probably not even like they're probably all CGI, but but it, it's just I just I just found it was like you know like you know how when um. There's always a thing that's like the hot toy or the hot thing for for that year. That's why the mouse droid is in A New Hope. Not because they needed a little droid. It's because that was what the technology was at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Low-tech, lo-fi. Anyway. And yet they've endured for 40 years. I know. Well, and today they had the, the, the pestering R5. And then, I mean, yeah, like R5 did exactly what I did, what I would have done. Let's rock it out of here, right? Well, it's funny because he he runs afoul of the first one, and the first one sort of is you know pewing at him yeah. and making little mousy noises, and then it comes back with a yeah. bunch of them with little like flashing lights on them, like they're the the they're Sirens, the, yeah. the police. And at one point, he like is getting ready to leave, and he pushes one off the edge, which is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah like it, it, they might be the most purposeless, pointless things in in all of Star Trek. They never really explain like what it is they're doing or what like. Well, in this first time I've ever seen them with little cop lights on the yeah, top too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a feature that that uh, Moff Gideon needed while he was using the men's room at the back of his uh, anti. Well, maybe he was re- remote control driving them to get R five away from. Okay, and uh, I mean we talked about Picard's password in the past, right? Yeah. Those ports that the R two D two and on those things, R2, yeah, put a, like a cover on it, you know, like like lock those things down. Like, to, just if you want to take over the empire, just go plug a robot into it. <laughs> Open the pod day bay doors, Hal. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is one of the largest plot loopholes that they exploit in every Star Trek series or Star Wars series where you're like, really? All you needed to bring was, and it, again, even in, we look at Bad Put Batch, Put some gum right? in there or something, you know, like <laughs> in Bad Batch, they've got Echo. They don't even need to bring a droid with them. Echo just jams his arm in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and apparently understands binary so he can whip through this thing. It's, I mean, it's a really cool interface when you think about the, the twisty dial things, but mm. you know, it looks good, but it, yeah, it's, there's, I have some questions. Like you, you couldn't put like uh, one of those steering wheel locks on there that keeps people. So out. you have to have the Tesla Tesla adapter on your on your R five, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's good. They weren't made by Apple, apparently. It's not proprietary. Everybody can just you know kind of connect, no problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so pew pew pew. 
uh, I thought the the scene where Din goes through and, and fights individually fights all of the uh, the Mandalorian enhanced uh, yeah. soldiers was pretty good because he doesn't have a, a gun initially. He just goes in there, starts just whooping butt as the gates come down. Yeah. That was pretty good, but I really liked the... Uh, the... He, start, he starts he starts by being tied up. That's the first one. And then and then when he by the time he gets to the other part, he's basically going to take them out two by two. But he takes out like 10 guys gate by gate. Right. Yeah. But I thought that yeah. Din well, and Grogu is watching TV and eating, eating popcorn. Well, that's right? it. Yeah. Where he's like, you know, apparently still in the men's room. Uh, Din and Grogu versus the Praetorian guards. The part where, you know, uh, Grogu is trying to escape them and then didn't ends up back in there with them. while you know, Bo-Katan and, and Moff Gideon are fighting and. Uh, she sort of says, you know, go save your son. And they, he goes in, the two of them go head to head with the Praetorians where basically mm-hmm. Din by himself couldn't take them on. And, and Grogu keeps like moving their weapons and just being enough of a pain in the butt for them to this force, prevent, yeah. yeah, using the force to prevent them from, from fully taking out uh, a Din. But I thought that scene was really good, especially because we saw like the Praetorians pretty, pretty niffily make a mess out of uh, Paz Vizla in the last episode, right? So I thought that was pretty good. And, you know, well, he forced and Grogu force pushes a couple of them. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And he holds the at one point there. The one guy's about to swing into Din's head and he basically holds him, holds him at bay. This is a pretty good force using Grogu episode. Again, obviously the big culminating fight where he keeps the fire at bay, which is a pretty neat, uh, yeah. a pretty neat effect. But I thought that was pretty good. Jaime, did you have anything else for your pew, pew, pew? Well, I was going to say, but the, the little force shield thing, uh, like somebody's done that before in the past. I'm just trying to think of who it was. Was it in Clone Wars? It, or it one must, of the force it must be. That's where, maybe? that's where we've seen the most use of the force was the Clone Wars by far. Yeah, maybe it was Soka was protecting somebody from something like gas or whatever. Yeah. By making a bubble over them. Or Ray. I don't know. No, I, 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 I thought you would say for sure the, the Darksaber battle between um, Bo-Katan and... and uh, Moth Gideon, right? Yeah, I. That was pretty cool. It was, but it wasn't a good fight. That was reminiscent of. I was going to say that was reminiscent of of um, Obi Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader from A New Hope. I kind of thought that was the. Yeah. You know, because 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 there was that, that my favorite scene in in a favorite favorite uh, scene of bad dialogue is when Darth Vader says, "I've not had those feelings since." <laughs> yeah. I, by the way, I turned my face away from the mic when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Because it doesn't finish the line. Yeah. He's he's being dramatic. Yeah. When when you realize after you've seen all the Anakin backstory, you're like, oh, right, he's being a drama queen. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, for my best pew, 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 uh, yes, I went with the Mandalorian army versus dark troopers because it was mm. Uh, mm. like two swarms of angry bees fighting each other. Yeah. Yeah. And they show some of the... the um, sort of from the perspective of what it's like flying full speed at somebody else and crashing into them and sure. the armor doing something. And the something dark still can't aim a blaster. <laughs> no, they, I mean, they're certainly helped by having the, the, the jet packs and having the best guard, like the best guard, you know, you hit it and you yeah. know, it, it doesn't do anything, but the Mandalorians are really good at aiming for the gaps in the armor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which the other guys are not. And the armor is kind of interesting as a character because she fights with her uh, her forge hammers and stuff. Yeah, and the hammer actually, and tongs, yeah. Yeah, and that actually kind of makes a lot of sense based on medieval fighting where you either, you know, used your sword or spear or, you know, possibly an axe to try to get into the the grooves or any weak links in the in the armor. 
but you also had war hammers that were meant to just provide concussive force to the the you know the can of meat yeah 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 i did uh, i did flag in uh, in my notes that that first fight where where din is prisoner and there's the couple of of the uh, the troopers are, are walking with them and they of course got all tricked out they've got sort of pseudo mandalorian armor on them and mm-hmm. They're surprising, like they've got the wrist fire, they've got the, the the lariat, they've got the, you know, all these different things. They're pretty darn good at fighting like that. And I kept thinking, like, I get why Bo-Katan, Axe Wolves, you know, Casca Reeves, all of the Mandalorians that we've met are good at Mandalorian armor fighting because they've spent their whole lives from being children training to fight like Mandalorians. The fact that the imps were so good at it where they're like, you know, oh, well, that didn't work. I'm going to switch to this weapon and I'm going to do that. I was like, that is not my experience working with stormtroopers, that they would be like instantly so good in these like sophisticated Mandalorian-esque pieces of armor where they're like, oh, I've got this. I use this and I use that. I'm like, that felt a little bit of a stretch for me. Yeah, they don't have the lifetime of training, right? You know, for the same from the same, you know, pool of talent that they're pulling these guys who can't, you know, shoot a... a walking teddy bear in the Endor forest. I felt like it was a bit of a stretch for me that they they suddenly were like, I'll use this weapon and then I'll use my wrist rockets. I love that they let at one point Bo-Katan uses her, uh, her knee rockets. That's my very favorite Mandalorian weapon. When they bend their knee and they fire the rockets that are next to their kneecaps. Uh, it's a very subtle scene, happens very fast, takes about two seconds on screen, but I love it when they fire their knee rockets. I just love that there's a, a idea that there's a group of warriors who are like, you know what I'm going to need is a couple of missiles that shoot out of my kneecaps. Because <laughs> you never know. Yeah. You never know where you're going to need that kneeling, kind of thing. Kneeling somebody near somebody, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's, um, uh, uh, it's like people like Finn are, are just uh, stormtroopers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're just, they're expendable. They just put them in heavy armor and give them a gun and point them in a direction, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, they when Lucas did them, they were allegories for the, the Nazis, right? You put them in a bunch of matching uniforms and you have them do horrible things, you know, like kill Aunt Owen and Uncle, Bur- uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, uh, which in retrospect, how they accomplished that, I'm not sure. Why didn't she didn't just like pour blue milk on them and they all died? I don't know. But <laughs> I was, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, they started off a little tougher than they ended up. But uh, yeah, for the... Big question for this one. I simply had, what is Din's cape supposed to be made of? Because I get that he's wearing Beskar armor and that the armor is impervious, but he gets hit with flames on multiple occasions, not only in this episode. In this episode alone, he gets hit with fire three times and nothing happens. I get that he's supposed to be wearing Beskar and Beskar is impervious and he's wearing pretty pure Beskar, so it would be very secure, but that cape has to go. There's no way. Like, what? what is he wearing in that cape? That it's woven a, with Beskar threads. Yeah, like, no kidding. He's putting, uh, you know, gold. Special 3M material, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like a fire blanket. That seemed like a bit of an inconsistency for me, but, uh, you know, but, but what are you going to do? Um, the quotes, again, lots of easy ones. You know, Gideon's very menacing, Darth Vader-esque, I'll take care of him myself, which is, you know, Darth Vader's, no, I will deal with them myself. Uh, Bo-Katan, let's take back our planet. Very, very, uh, uh, queen of the planet kind of line. Uh, Din's, you did good kid, which, uh, just, uh, the dynamic between them is so adorable. Uh, Bo-Katan, Mandalorians are stronger together. 
mm-hmm. and then you are now Din Grogu, Mandalorian apprentice. Are we supposed to take from this that Din is not in fact Din Jaren's first name? Is he Jaren Din? Is it supposed to be like Chinese where you it's surname oh, is I first? Like I'm confused. Mm-hmm. I, we've always been referring to this dude as Din. Is is Din a title or is it a name? Is Din a surname or is Din a like tribe name? You are yeah, a Din yeah. if you are. Is this like Jon Snow? You're a Snow if you're a, a, a bastard from the north. Are you Din if you're like a foundling? I, I, I just don't understand any of that at all. I I was fully expecting um, <laughs> Grogu to start doing the Mandalorian, you know. I swear by the blood of Mandalorian, yeah, you, know, this, you shall be avenged or whatever. <laughs> this is the way? No, 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 his, no, in his yes, little, in yes, his yes. Grogu voice, yeah. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean, like, <laughs> the part where he walks down and, and he, he's standing in front of the steps and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the living lake or whatever it was. Right? The living waters, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny that we're talking... Meaning Frank Oz voice, right? Yeah. It's funny that we're talking about these two series concluding at the same time, and it just happened to work out that way. Yeah. Ultimately, I would say Picard was a much more satisfying experience beginning to end. I found the season of Mandalorian to be quite oddly paced. Very well, this is the best episode from the point of of Pew Pew. I mean, that's what I was thinking as I'm watching this one. This is like this is what we've been waiting for. But like there were so many slow, sleepy that's episodes, it. right? That's exactly right. Like we we got ten episodes of Picard where it was a slow burn at times and there was a mystery and stuff. And yes, I'll admit it was, you know, infinitely more sort of fan servicey just because of the legacy factor and everything else. Although Mandalorian is by far the most fan service oriented Star Wars product that we have on TV. Like it is it is much more easily accessible. It's not Andor, it's not a think piece. It's not, you know, the complexity of bad like Bad Batch has got some layers to it based on Clone Wars and everything else. This is the easiest show. And yet, it at times it almost felt like just like heel dragging and slow this season. Like it just was really oddly paced. This was a very inconsistent season. There were some good moments. There were some good episodes. But I mean, the space pirate captain, uh, Captain Coleslaw or whatever his name was, uh, it just that didn't work. Uh, you know, the sort of mystery of Gideon's return wasn't great. The whole Doctor Pershing episode. I do not understand at all. Like that whole digression into Dr. Pershing was just so that they could like remove him off the board for no explicable reason like that. It it just, none of that made Mm -hmm. sense. I I just, as much as I really enjoy the Mandalorian and have enjoyed the series, I can't say that I loved this season. I can say I enjoyed it. I can say it was good, but it certainly wasn't great. And the fact that they wrap it up with such a, like, this had as many endings as the freaking Star Trek show, which is a legacy show that's ending 35 years of storytelling. Here we are, like, five years into The Mandalorian and, and three seasons over five years. And they're like, well, then we, you know, then we met up with the Rebels and we got a new job and they, we saved Mandalore. And by the way, IG-11's back. And by the way, now we've got this little cabin in the woods. Like, I just don't understand what this whole season was and i certainly don't understand where they're going from here and and why i should care it it, it just feels disappointing in that way for a show that I, I we have certainly all been invested in and enjoyed i just i don't feel like this season got it at all like the reason we loved the show was din and grogu this season turned into the bo-katan show who i love but it really was more 
big picture. It was about, I think, Dave Filoni concluding his, and John Favreau concluding their love of the Mandalorians, the planet, the people, Bo-Katan, the whole thing. I just, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not as impressed as I have been with past iterations. When you consider that, you know, the last uh, episode of the last season was the the, the return of, of Luke Skywalker, this just, it was a good episode of a very inconsistent season. I mean, like even Captain Appa, what was he in there for, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Filoni got another cameo in the bar too, but we didn't even get, we didn't even get, uh, you know any rebels characters or cameos or anything fun like that. It just, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get why this season dithered so much. Maybe it was, maybe, you know, like honestly felt like we were back into justifying Jar Jar Binks here, you know, well, <laughs> Jar Jar's for kids, you know, like I was waiting for somebody in an interview to say, well, Mandalorian's not necessarily for, you know, uh, it's for a broader audience and it needs to have the, I'm like, I still don't get it. Like, Explain to me again why Jack Black and Lizzo showed up. Like, I just, I don't, and the Dr. Pershing thing again, I just, it's just. Well, even Carl Weathers was kind of like non-essential, non, non right? Like, Yeah, and the IG-11 thing, which they started in the first episode and then they bookend in the last episode. Like, who cares? Like, it just was not, you know, like, the whole thing was about trying to resurrect this, you know, minor character, uh, which was also wildly inconsistent too because din is supposed to have gotten over his like hatred of robots because of ig11 and then he tries to save him can't ends up going getting r5d4 treats him like kind of like crap in earlier episodes goes to the the planet with jack black and lizzo and starts like kicking droids like we're not even seeing personal growth anymore we're seeing regression i just i it it, it just the whole thing i've been thinking about it a lot this week because i knew we were coming to the conclusion and i was trying to sort of in my head resolve how I felt about this whole season. And I just, all the word that just kept coming back around was inconsistent. There were some cool moments. It definitely was not much must watch TV. I think the last three episodes with, with the whole Mandalorian struggle, except for the Jack Black bit was, was uh, pretty decent. I mean, like the, 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 this last two part um, ending with the retaking of Mandalore was, was exciting. It's kind of what we expect from a star Wars kind of, extravaganza kind of thing you know with ships flying into each other and that kind of stuff by the way one easter egg that we missed mm. kit was on um uh, moff gideon's chest oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair enough yeah yeah from from night rider uh, the other thing that felt very unresolved is this whole like Ilya kane thing right this this sort of loyal to gideon agent that's working on coruscant like she never comes back around after she like reports in. So she's sort of floating around out there. She never gets her comeuppance. So, I mean, is the idea that she's coming back? Because I got to be honest. Maybe they're setting these up for Ahsoka. Is Ahsoka in the same time frame? Ahsoka's in the same time frame as this, which is, you know, okay, again, fair and fine. But yeah, I, I got to be honest. I just, uh, I really hope Ahsoka's better than this. I, I pray because I love Ahsoka and I loved Rebels. I. I but then I loved Clone Wars, especially when Clone Wars uh, and Rebels focused on the Mandalorian stuff, and that's Filoni and and, uh, and John Favreau's babies. I, I I hope it works out better than this because this was not like if we're doing the you know out of ten rating on this one, this was like a six. Like it was you know Star as you say, Tim. Any Star Wars is usually good Star Wars, although I disagree with that sentiment. Uh, it just was not great Star Wars. It was it was good. It was adequate. But I mean, especially coming off of Andor, which 
like that was a 10 out of 10. That was a 14 out of 10. Yeah, Andor was superior. And I get they're not the same show. And I like that Star Wars is starting to think outside of the fact that it all needs to be the same. You know, that's what Marvel figured out quite a while back. Unfortunately, their last few movies have been a little bit of sameness. But the thing that made Marvel so interesting was that they were like, cool, this one's a comedy. Cool. This one's a space adventure. Cool. This one's a spy thriller. Cool. This one's a horror movie. They kind of danced all over the place and changed genres. Well, cool. Then you can have Andor be a great spy thriller, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and you can have Mandalorian be this really fun popcorn adventure. But, you know, it, it's awfully hard when you when you hit the heights of something like Andor to come back to this where you're like, I feel like I'm watching a Saturday morning cartoon at times. Yeah. I mean, I know you got feelings about this. Yeah, I think it wasn't must-watch TV this season. I wonder if it was a transitional season. Uh, sometimes these shows will have that, where they're, they're needing to clear the board and set things up for the next one. So we'll we'll see what happens in season four. Yeah. yeah. Or in Ahsoka, like I said before. But but yeah, you're right. This this is the kind of season where, you know, they had... I mean, we've had exposition episodes in, in previous series before, but um, yeah, there were some definitely weak episodes in this one, right? That, you know, were not required. Yeah, and there were certainly some super cool mo- moments in this season, too, just mixed in with, you know, weird salad pirate man and stuff, you know? Like, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Cool. Well, let's move on to our watch list, and you guys are up your stuff. I mean, first. Yeah, this is uh, out of date, given the uh, season and series finale of Picard, but this is a 19 minute and 56 second compilation of all weapons fired by the Enterprise D that takes you from uh, Encounter at Farpoint to Star Trek Generation. So Hopefully they'll they'll do an update because this video was created looks like 2020 so they couldn't have known. Uh, so kudos to the person who put this together, but it was uh, kind of nice. So I was in a nostalgic mood for for watching the the pew pew pews from the Enterprise D. <laughs> Thank you for reserving yourself from not doing any more big D jokes. <laughs> uh, I got a couple things. The uh, the big one that came this week we saw the first. A little teaser trailer for the the Venture Brothers movie. Uh, I am a big Venture Brothers fan. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed that series. It's 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 very very f- high level stupid fun. Uh, in that it's actually so so super smart that it's stupid, um, or so stupid that it's smart. I can't decide which way. I was disappointed, like so many fans, that they had uh, decided not to do any more of the series, and that was, I don't think, the creator's choice initially, but the fact that they're going to do a uh, sort of a movie to pick up stuff and, and give a little bit more to it is is really super fun. They put out a trailer, I, I've got the uh, link here in our show notes, which, uh, yeah, again, it's it's just, it's fun and it's silly, and I'm looking forward to uh, just watching, uh, yeah, just really smart, stupid humor that uh that this movie will provide the other thing i caught tonight was uh i just noticed when i was trolling around social earlier that uh they have announced that all of the spider-man movies are arriving on disney plus or have arrived i haven't even actually checked to see if they are actually on there but uh that would be all of the uh, toby Maguire's and andrew garfield movies that are connected obviously now as part of canon to the uh, larger Marvel universe since they were pulled in as part of uh, the, the whole sort of last Spider-Man movie. 
so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of nice that you can get your know, one-stop shop for all your all your Marvel and Marvel affiliated products. It's cool. All right, and as I was telling Jonathan just before the show started, I started watching um, Barry this afternoon, and I'm three episodes in. They're <laughs> they're nice, bite-sized, thirty-minute long. Um, uh, it's what it's been on my list of things to watch for a long time. I like Bill Hader, and I like uh, the Fonz, of course. Oh, he's great um, in that. He won a, and, he won an Emmy for the first season. He was uh, both of them did. It was best comedy series, and both of them won uh, best best lead actor and best supporting actor at the Emmys. Yeah, and the uh, the uh, the bad guys, the I don't know if they're Bosnians or whatever, but they're they're just hilarious because they're they're very they're bad guys, but they're very much into the California culture, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it's sort of a uh, it adds a sort of everydayness to the ridiculousness of of you know, the, the kind of criminal culture these guys are in. So yeah, for sure, it's 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 a very again very very smart farce because it is a farce. The idea that this this hitman sort of turns himself into an actor is is just absolutely farcical, and they they really dive into it. But it's it's smart too. It's super super smart. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching more of episodes of that tonight and. Who knows? At you know, at thirty minutes a piece, I could probably finish all three, four seasons in no time, right? <laughs> well, fourth season, you got to wait a little bit. We just got the first episode this week of season yeah. four, yeah. so uh, you'll have to ride that out with the rest of us. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they land this plane. Well, it's like I'm I'm suffering through Yellow Jackets right now because I binged uh, I binged the first season, um, and now I guess we're into second season, probably three or four episodes in. So yeah, that's another good show that I can recommend. But I guess that's it for this week. So until next time, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, where will they find you? You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at GPK News or on YouTube at YouTube.com slash at JPK. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where will they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev the Hair. All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me and on the Mastodon machine. And until next time, we'll see you in the future. Or will we? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. For the trailer at the end when the queue comes back and says the podcast has just begun that's right oh you thought that spotcast was over oh no my yeah. friends for you spotcast is just beginning just beginning that's right so we now have a seven week star trek gap until june 15th 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it looks like uh, Star Wars Visions Season 2 on May 4th, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on May 5th, Transformers Rise of the Beast. Oh, does that have a date? I just have June 2023, but I don't have a date written down. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse on June 2nd, and yeah, like the the weekly stuff begins on June 15th, right? Strange New Worlds Season 2. Mm-hmm. June 9th is Transformers. Oh, there we go. I put that, put that on there. More than meets the eye. For so, for some reason, Pete Davidson is one of the Transformers this time. Sure. Well, he's like all all there is, right? <laughs> I guess. I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's some good stuff coming out that uh, I will make the effort to go see. I definitely, I am a hundred percent going to go see the new Spider-Man um, into the Spider-Verse spinoff in into the theater verse in the theater yeah. for sure. I probably will go see Guardians, although I don't think that's a day one for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll definitely see that one. I'm are you going to make the trip to the theater for any of these? I'm not sure that I will. I'm kind of uh, running out the clock on what I assume will be the launch date for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Although Hmm. I'm a little surprised it hasn't come out on Disney Plus, given I thought they would hype that up for, you know, catch up on the latest Marvel stuff before you go to Guardians of the Galaxy. We're getting we're getting awfully close. It's true, although I think because Guardians is kind of intended to be the the bookend to the trilogy. I get the impression it's not strictly as much, maybe I'll be proven wrong, as strictly as much tied to the whole sort of kangy-wangy of, of the, the, the current iteration of the Marvel phase. So maybe you don't have to. So maybe they're like, you know, hey, you can still go see Ant-Man in the theater, even if you have to go see it in the $1.99 theater now. Yeah, could be. But yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm def- I'm, I'm, I'm 100% in on seeing Spider-Man in the theater. I'm 90% in on seeing Guardians 3 in the theater. I don't think I'll see Transformers in the theater, although I think if you're going to make the effort to see a sort of big, stupid robot punching each other movie, that they really are made for turning off your brain and going to the theater. But at the same time, uh, you know, wear your hearing protection because those movies get loud. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if there's, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's much else that's that's going to lure me to a theater in this next little while. Transformers. Yeah, no. I mean, again, I like I like a good robot punching a robot uh, movie as much as the next uh, nerd, but yeah. Yeah. I am looking forward to Visions, though. I think that's going to be good. I'm excited that they're not just doing pure anime this time. I thought that that was really interesting, but I must admit, by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, some of this is a little obscure. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm a, I would have to say I'm probably uh, maybe a scotch more than casual anime fan. I'm I, like, I've certainly watched a number of things over the years, but I'm not at all a hardcore fan. Um, and some of it was just a little too um, of its genre, I think, for my taste. Yeah, it's good that they opened it up and maybe in, you know, a hypothetical season three and go even further where there's like a you know french indie film where everybody's upset <laughs> about life and they're smoking death sticks <laughs> it's in black and white <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i do love the idea that they're they're letting other people play in their sandbox i don't know if you guys remember but it was it was planned a number of years back but it never got off the ground they announced, I'm trying to remember what they, I'll look it up, that they announced a number of years back they were going to do a Seth Green Star Wars project that was sort of satire in the Star Wars universe. It was kind of, uh, you know, Robot Chicken makes fun of of Star Wars 
uh, show. I'm going to see if I can find it here. Seth Green, uh, he's uh, Doctor Evil's son in the in the uh, Austin Powers movies. He was on, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and of course, he's executive producer and one of the stars for Robot Chicken. But they did this great show. Oh, here we go. It was called Detours. So they showed a trailer for it. Oh, I'm trying to remember how many years back this was. 2012. So. It was supposed to be called Star Wars Detours, and it was meant to be sort of a more funny, silly, satirical animated series, including like your favorite faces from Star Star Wars, you know, Han Solo and Obi-Wan and the whole thing. But it was meant to be like, you know, again, just sort of planting your tongue firmly in your cheek. Everybody has these exaggerated haircuts and, and you know, there's lots of just sort of... V- almost inappropriate humor about some of this stuff but they announced it it was it was in production i guess they did some of it and then they canceled it and everyone was like why did they cancel it and then like very soon after that it all got sold uh to disney and i'm guessing what they didn't want was people making fun of star wars when they were basically planning their big star wars launch so the last time we heard about this was a number of years ago that they, they, you know, they had sort of put it on the back burner and maybe it was going to come out. And then I'm just looking at an article here from inside the magic net where Seth Green basically said like, no, we will never see the light of day. It's not, it's never going to happen, but, but it, they actually did some stuff on it. Like it, it happened. They were making it. It just never happened. So Okay, so here's the quote from Seth Green. The most recent conversations I've had with anybody who would be in a position to say that it could be released say that it's not soon. There are 39 episodes that were finished for broadcast and 69 unproduced episodes, but we finished them almost 10 years ago, and so there would have been a bit of reconfiguring of existing stuff to make them something Disney Plus would release as a Lucasfilm offering. The way it's been explained to me is that there hasn't been enough interest high enough up to go through what it would take to put it all out. They basically did this, you know, they let somebody like Seth, this is what I'm tying this back into Visions, the idea was that they were going to let these comedy writers and, you know, the people who do Robot Chicken, which of course is a hilarious uh, sort of satire of pop culture, loose in the Star Wars universe. And I love the idea that they would have the sense of humor about themselves to let somebody do that. And then, of course, they didn't. But I like the idea that you know, they're doing the Ardman short as part of the, the Vision Season 2. I like the idea that they might let interesting creators play in the Star Wars sandbox. And yeah, if you want to put a label on it that says, this is not canon, don't get your knickers in a twist, I don't care. But I, I just like the idea that it's not this, like, completely closed off, only a few people in the brain trust get to actually decide what happens kind of environment where they're letting interesting people say interesting things about these interesting galaxy that they've created a far far away i'm gonna i'm gonna paste this into our show notes because this is it's actually a pretty interesting article okay mm-hmm. i don't know if anybody actually ever reads the show notes well they're there if they change their minds that's true but yeah i think uh i like the potential of visions i like uh, i think that there's a lot they could do here if they put their minds to it <laughs> I have, I felt guilty because I've seen that a few times over the uh, the number of years we've done this. Where I, we'll just be rambling about something, and then I'll see you put up the show notes, and you've added in like 
10 links and I'm like, I guess we're being kind of jerks for, <laughs> for just rambling, but not actually sourcing anything for you. And you're agreeing. Yes, yes, you two are jerks. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm facing them. You guys are jerks. Did you buy a copy of, just a digression here, but did you buy a copy of the, uh, the Dark Side Live album they put out? Uh, recently? Yeah, they just uh, they put out an official release of the Live at Wembley uh, 1974 Dark Side of the Moon. I have I have a Dark Side Live, which sounded a lot like that. I did listen to the whole thing, but I, I have a... Because there's, there's tons of... There's a funny thing about the concerts back in, in the 70s, is if you listen to those, those um, performances, they're not like note for note, cut for cut, right? Um, which is why the, the classic albums live started that way, right? But because back in the day, like people just, they were like, it was my music and I'm going to play it the way I want tonight, you know, like, and then tomorrow I'll play it differently, right? Um, it wasn't until like, you know, like now everybody expects you to play it like exactly like the cut, unless, unless you just go right off and just do a completely like a 20 minute version of a three minute song kind of thing, right? Um, well, the Cure does that. They 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 sort of play around with their songs, right? Yeah, I mean, some band some bands kind of jam, and some are just like it's yeah. They they could be playing uh, lip sync. Cure is kind of like the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead never played the same thing twice, right? Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, it was just sort of you know had they take a three minute song and play it for twenty minutes, but yeah, um, yeah, like you said, the, some of them are just jam. But and and but like the early Pink Floyd stuff. I mean, they couldn't do what like a lot of what's on Dark Side of the Moon was actually Alan Parsons in the studio, right? So, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I have, I have, like, I've heard, the, I've heard the album and it's on Apple Music or whatever, but I mean, like, do I have an actual disc of it? I have the um, experience edition of Dark Side of the Moon and I forget which, because it has a live, and the Wish You Were Here one has a live performance mm. as well, right? Yeah, I saw this one pop up on my recommendations the other day and as something that was newly released against one of those ones where... I guess they've had the board recording for a long time, and there was bootlegs of it out there, but this was the first time yeah. that they they put out an official release of it. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Tim's got that one. Yeah, I've got a. I actually have a vinyl of of Pink Floyd playing Animals before it was called Animals in um, in uh, on vinyl, hmm. like playing in New York. Hmm. I've had it forever, but uh, and it's not the best performance, but it's pretty good. Um, and it's before, like, you know, dog, right now it's called dogs and pinks and pigs and sheep, right? Well, it was called raving and drooling originally, mm. you know, before they actually gave it a name. Mm. So I also have a, a when Net, Net, Napster was around, I got a concert in Oakland of Pink Floyd, mm. which is really good. I'm, I, it's the only thing I miss, like, obviously, I don't mind paying for my music. The only thing I miss about Napster was the obscurities. I got so much. Yeah really random like live unreleased comedy stuff like just really obscure stuff back in the day that was great because it just there was just so uh, no really other way to get stuff that's the problem is now is there's there's so much stuff that's just never been released right or actually george officially. did uh dark side of the moon thing on his his apple music show mm. Mm. i forgot to mention in the uh the chat we had about the strange new worlds uh trailer that the song that they put on there is the postal service uh speaking of seattle i may it's a postal service some great heights right uh, such great heights that was uh i, I was like i, I mean I, I love the postal service i love death cab for cutie and i i uh, love jenny lewis which are all intertwined 
as as bands and, and musicians i enjoy it and when they played that i was like okay wait a minute now star trek's playing like postal service songs in their trailers i'm in i'm way in i'm 100 percent in star trek yeah that star trek trailer for hmm. strange new worlds it plays a song in the background that's that's such great heights oh i haven't i haven't watched that one yet yeah, yeah they're playing su- such great heights by the postal service i was like okay now we're talking this is, this is my world's colliding here it's my love of music mixed with my love of star trek <laughs> yeah it's uh what is it like indie pop i guess that they have uh or, or indie synth or something um yeah i mean this they, is this is the real gets you pumped up kind of uh and cheery cheery right it's very cheerful and yeah for sure yeah no i mean that's a classic song it's uh this is um ben gibbard's band from before he was death cab for cutie right this is uh and as a matter of fact they're touring this summer death cab for cuties touring in the states they're not doing it here unfortunately but they're they're doing a double bill where they're basically playing the entire Postal Service album, and then they're doing a Death Cab for Cutie uh, show. So I'm bummed the fact that they're coming up here to do a show, but they're not doing that show that they're doing in the States, which sounds amazing. Well, it's like the, the template behind how they drew the cover. Yeah, yeah. It looks like the, the initial artist sketch for what they wanted the cover to look like. It's interesting. There's a, there's another disc here. It's actually the, probably the same concert. Yeah, it's, it's uh, November 17th, 1974. Well, two of us were alive, but one of us was in diapers. In diapers? Yeah. I was, you were in diapers. I was 10 months old when that was recorded. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, what turned me on to the dark side of the moon? Mm. Was the fact that they say bullshit. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. I remember that being a motivating factor when I was a teenager, when I, when I knew songs had uh, expletives. Yeah. Curse words, yeah. Yeah. I, I knew that was, that, was, uh, that was a good thing. Today... One of the things happened to me that I, I absolutely love. So my birthday is like two weeks after Christmas. And, and you know this is one of my pet peeves, Tim. But it's a long stretch between when people give me gifts. Because my birthday is so close to Christmas. I get sort of everything everyone's going to give me over the course of a year in a two-week span. And then thankfully there's Father's Day now in June for me where somebody will give me a gift, which I really appreciate. But Usually in my life, it's been this like 350 day gap where like nobody wants to give me a present. So I, as a strategy, I've been asking for things for my birthday or for a Christmas gift that are like pre-orders so that they will just show up later on. So it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. a present for me that's not on that one two week stretch. So today I came down from my office where I was working all day and there was a package on the table and I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. And I opened it up and it was uh, the new Florence and the Machine live at Madison Square Garden double vinyl uh, album, which my very kind mother-in-law ordered for me for for Christmas. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I love it when things show up like four months after my birthday because then I actually get to, you know, I was like, oh, something new that I didn't have to pay for. This is very exciting. And uh, it's gorgeous. This the uh, production on the album is fantastic. It's this beautiful two two album set with these beautiful slip covers and this really pretty pictures on it and excellent uh, graphic design. And I, I played the whole first album earlier today, but I haven't played the second. This is tomorrow's plan to play the second album, but it's uh, yeah, it's nice to get a gift that it is not on your birthday. I don't know why I'm telling you, Mister August birthday. Yeah, well, you know, I say. I'm sure you have one of those it, uh, horror stories. Everyone always tells me who has a summer birthday. Ah, oh, but it sucked because all the other kids were away at camp and I didn't get to have a birthday. Mm, mm. No, it wasn't so much that. It's like when I got to like most of the, because I think you had to, you had to be a certain age by September mm, mm-hmm. to go into school, into class. 
So all the other kids had like nine months or eight months of age over me. So all through grade school, they were all bigger and stronger and tougher. And Yeah, I, I had that exact same circumstance because I started school early. So I started uh, kindergarten when I was four. And so all of my friends, like my friends are all turning 50 or have all turned 50 who are older than me, uh, who are my classmates, this this last little stretch, because they're all like 11, 10, 11 months older than me. And it's like, damn, that's, <laughs> yeah, I was always the smallest kid in class. I was in the, the, the kid hmm. in the front of the picture was me, me and some, you know, little tiny girl would sit in the front row. Tiny. Yeah. Wasn't, I didn't get my growth. I'm again, now I'm almost six foot two, but the, or as my son would say, you're just over six foot one. Um, I'm I'm a tall person now, but that that came later. My my son Xavier, because uh, he's he's the same height as me, although he looks taller because he's got a good head of hair on his head, which I do not. But uh, yeah, he he's pointed out that uh, 186 centimeters actually works out to just a shade over six foot one, and uh, so that's that's what our actual height is. Oh, he measures himself in centimeters. Yeah. Which is what you're supposed okay. to do in a not America place. Oh, well, I, I don't know. Yeah, get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I bet you it says on your driver's license what you are in centimeters. Yeah, did you... Probably does. Did you um, see in the uh, the Foo Fighters album came out recently? The new Foo Fighters album? Well, they announced this week that it's coming, right? Yeah, but you can get it on audio cassette. Oh, I went to go to the to the uh, uh, Sunrise, which is the last survivor of record store chains. I went to there this weekend with my wife and picked up. Uh, what did I pick up? Oh, I picked up the new Phoenix album and something else that I can't remember. But um, I picked up a couple new albums this week, and I was in there. And up by the cash, there was the new Metallica album on cassette. And I said to the young woman who was working at the front, I said, "I have to ask you, do." Do people come in? Oh, it was the new Feist album was the other one about. I said, do people come in and buy these cassettes? And she looked like she was in her, I'm going to say, early to mid-20s. And she's like, yeah, no, people are really like coming back around on cassettes. And, and you know, I remember when I was little, they used to be around. And I'm like, listen, I'm like way older than you. And I remember when cassettes had their heyday. But I also remember the cassettes sound like crap. Like they are just, they were never a great audio format. They were just great because they were small and portable, which is. You, can, you didn't skip in your car if you played them. Yeah. But they didn't skip in your car, but then every once in a while you'd start hearing a song go. <laughs> as it started yeah. devouring the, you know, the tape head getting misaligned. Uh, but I said to her, you know, like, so are, are young people coming in and buying cassettes? She's like, yeah, they think they're really, like, cool and kitschy. I'm like, my wife said, what are they playing them on? Like, I got a new CD player uh, as, as a Christmas gift a couple of years back where my, my son, who is, is a very, as mm -hmm. you know, uh, rigorous researcher, went and looked and, and tried to find a, a new CD player for me. And mm -hmm. that is hard to find. Find a... a a new yeah but can't you play cd players in like can't you play them in, in blu-ray and dvd players you can but i mean i have my stereo in my living room nowhere near my yeah. blu-ray players and i want to play those you know while you I... should have asked me because i ha i have blu-ray players in the house that are not being used yeah They're gathering dust well i wanted a multi-disc changer because that is something that yeah. my wife likes yeah. and so yeah. we you know he did the research he found me a really nice one it goes with my equipment yep so i i 
put it in there and it's it's great but it was you know, he said basically there's like two models left that you can buy new yeah it was really yeah. not Is it a easy. sony you got or um no i want to say it's yamaha because the yamaha is what my amplifier is um but yeah it was he said there's like not a lot of choice out there and it made me think like yeah what are, what are these kids playing these like fancy new cassettes that are coming out on like I'm, are they going to thrift stores and buying Walkmans? Like, what's... Wh- yeah. Where are the cassettes and all this stuff? You know, like, it's a strange thing to think of people going out and buying their new artists on cassette and then listening to them on, like, a Walkman. And yeah, I, so, like, brand new like brand new people are producing cassettes. Wow, yeah. that's weird. Like, again, the, the new Metallica album came out last week, and I saw, I saw it in the store. I saw it. They had it on vinyl. They had it on CD. And as I walked for the cash, they had it on cassette. And I said, like, really? Like, on cassette? I, can't, I just couldn't get over the fact that they had put it out on cassette. And, yeah, this young woman assured me that people, young people, not just, like, you know, uh, people who grew up with cassettes, but young people are, like, yeah, buying cassettes. I'm like, but they sound, like, I get why you'd want to have something on vinyl. I get why you'd want something on CD. I get why you want something to stream. I get why you want something as a digital download. But I grew up with cassettes. Cassettes, they hiss. They don't sound good. They get tangled. They get damaged easily. Like, I still have a box in my basement. I found it not that long ago filled with cassettes from the 70s, 80s, 90s. And I just thought, and I I still have my, you know, very nice high-end techniques uh, double cassette uh, stereo component, which I keep very securely in a box downstairs but i've rarely has the the uh urge hit me to dig out my cassette player and start playing cassettes like i also don't for the record pull out an eight track player and play eight tracks like some technology was meant to die I didn't know sunrises. Is that at Air Mills Town Center where the Air, where the sunrises? There are actually quite a number of them across the GTA. There's one at uh, Cloverdale um, in Etobicoke. There's no, there one at Air Mills here. here. There's oh, one yeah, in, okay. at the yeah. Maple View in Burlington. I know there's one in Hamilton. I'm sure there are mm-hmm. ones in Toronto, but I couldn't tell well, you where I'm, they I'm are. Looking, there's, I'm, there's only one listed in Toronto here, but it's listed at the Eaton Center, and it says FYE Eaton Center. But um, that was that what Eaton Center is called now? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I thought the only, the last one was the one in, um, in Regent Mall in New Brunswick. That's where I, where I go to Sunrise to buy stuff. Yeah, no, it's, uh, when HMV... Oh, I guess it's not Sunrise anymore. When HMV folded, uh, a number of years ago, Sunrise bought a few of their leases in some of these malls. Mm. So they basically bought yeah. the, the spaces that were record stores in a few select locations, and they started small. They only had like and Sunrise is a Canadian uh Canadian company. They I think they only had at that point maybe ten or twelve shops across the country, but I know they've been expanding. And as a matter of fact, I know uh um I saw them on social the other day post that they're just opening a another location. I can't recall where it was, but they uh yeah, they're they're kind of trying to fill the void, especially now that people are buying new reissued vinyl and stuff like that. They, yeah, they still sell records, they still sell cassettes, they still sell CDs, they still sell physical copies of, of Blu-rays and DVDs and, and 4Ks and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, although it, it, the prices are certainly, uh, at times, a little 
lump in your throat on some of this stuff too. The the one nearest to me, which is it's here in Mississauga, has an amazing selection of some of the more obscure DVD titles, like these these sort of cult hits and stuff like that. But like for a DVD, not for a Blu-ray, not for a 4K, for a DVD, they're looking for like 40, 50 bucks for some of these things. It's just like, whoa, I, I would like to see this movie again, but no way. Yeah. But but they are they literally have in there thousands of movies that have never been released on a streaming service. There's no digital copies. Like if you want to watch this movie again in your life, that is your option. Or or you go trolling on on the streaming or on the uh, torrent stuff. But even then, like obscure stuff is never there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I didn't even know that uh, CDs. Um... Essential CDs. I'm looking at Beat Goes On, see what they have. Abba Gold. <laughs> Beat Goes On's having a sale this weekend, eh? It's uh, Record Store Day mm-hmm. on Saturday, so a lot of record stores are doing sales um, and such. Yeah but, how, yeah, but how many record stores are there out there? Uh, you know, independent, there's a ton. I bet you in the yeah. GTA. Oh, you mean like used and used and yeah, a combination used of used and new. There are some places that do both. There's some, that, but like you know, Sonic Boom and stuff like that downtown. There are. I bet you in the GTA. I bet you there's forty. Like it's a surprising number of of places that are really focused on physical music formats. Yeah, see, this is fair. It's like twenty bucks that that beat goes on for which for that that. Pink Floyd CD we were talking about. Oh yeah, it's part of the it's part of the fiftieth anniversary box set, is what it is. Oh, right? so they just sold, they're selling it individually from something that they already issued. Yeah, because the the box set's like hundred bucks. Mm, mm. Yeah. Well, because if you already have the Dark Side of the Moon, why a lot of people wouldn't just buy it again, right? Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I was looking the other day. I was uh, trying to figure out which Floyd albums I don't have, and it's just 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 the early stuff that I really don't have. That's the one that Xavier went to with me to see, right? Oh yeah, Darkseid. He's yeah. He said he said I didn't really know that album well, but it was good. Yeah, I don't I don't own a physical copy of uh, Obscured by Clouds, Amagama, or Final Cut. That's weird because I used to have all those. Or maybe I have them on on yeah, CD. Obscured by, by Clouds is yeah. They should have had that one on. You don't have that one? No, I don't think so. I think the earliest one I have is probably Metal. Because Obscured by Clouds, I I definitely had that in my collection. And Amagama, no, I don't think I'm a, I care. My ex had that one. And I and I know I'd, I've never. I don't think you did or I did have Final Cut because that wasn't even. I mean, it's a Pink Floyd. It's not worth. It's a Pink Floyd album in it's name. It's the Jar Jar Banks of Pink Floyd albums. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Roger Waters thumbing his nose at the rest of the guys, right? I, I listened to it once, and I, that that was one to one time too many. Yeah, this is where your completest self becomes your worst enemy. Where you're like, do I need to have all of the Pink Floyd albums? I at one point I owned them because I had that that. Box oh, that's right. They, yeah, yeah. They had the, yeah. Yeah, and then I, I sold it. I made more money selling it used on eBay than I paid for it. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, it was a cool little set with the yeah. the dark side prism on it and everything. Yeah, the quality wasn't that great. The audio quality was not that great. Yeah. Did I send you the? Like, uh, re- did I send you the the um, audio files for the new YouTube fan club thing? It was the the live Zoo TV live thing. No. I should, I'll send you those files. I'll Dropbox them to you. The um. This year's, I, I I bought back into the the fan club because their their free fan club gift or free comes with your your membership. It's the only reason I had a membership was yeah. um the they give you a CD sort of CD plus a booklet thing with uh it's live in oh I can't even remember um but it's live 
the whole Zoo TV thing, so it's like 20 songs live. It's the it's the show you and I went and saw. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's sort of a very nice little oh, from that year? slice of that yeah. year, like 91 or whatever. And um, yeah, yeah, they give you all the digital audio files as well as the as well as the CD. But I looked, oh, really? I got a note from YouTube this week because I guess I had bought my membership and it's now about to expire. And they were like, don't forget, you need to renew your membership. Here's what next year's gift's going to be. And it's a lyric book. For which? For YouTube.com. It's, it's a lyric book of like... Oh, YouTube.com. Yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah. said YouTube. No, YouTube. Okay. Uh, they basically said like the next two years they're going to do two lyric books that have like all of their written down lyrics i'm like i can find that online i don't need to pay 50 dollars for a uh 2com membership to to get yeah. a copy of bono's lyrics did you uh did you um did you did i calendar here make would i yeah or would i <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't know that one. One of the few people. One of the few people knows the punchline of that one, right? Um, I've never even told Jaime that joke. No, oh, I may. I may have told him in person. <laughs> Certainly Jaime not I, podcast I, appropriate that joke. I'm trying to think. Like, so, so Jaime and I met in person. Obviously, first time we met, which is like 2013 or 2012, we established, right? Mm. And then we went to celebrating a decade of friendship. Oh, yeah. Hell, I've yeah, known Jaime for we six went, years. No, I know we went to um, went to Nashville for Tammy's conference, and we went to the NS North in Mont. What was it called, Jaime? The Chateau Montebello. I said it kind of Italian at the end there, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we, we met in like 20, 2013, 2014. I'd have to look to see because we started. Oh no, we went to three hundred and sixty IDev once with Mark, right? So yeah. we've we've been in person four times, you and I. Uh, maybe. One, yeah, we two, met at we met at three sixty i dev in in twenty thirteen I think twenty twelve twenty thirteen right in den in no it wasn't it was in Littleton right it wasn't in Denver yeah I think that's and then right. we met and then we went to three sixty i dev I think the same place with Mark right was that the Sheridan Denver maybe yeah I think it, I think it went back to Denver that year and then you're right twenty sixteen would have been Tammy's place right oh wait so maybe twenty fifteen was NS North. Actually, I have pictures of you and me. Yeah, yeah. And stuff. The, the, I think 2015 might be NS North, and then 2016 in Nashville. Yeah, 2016 NS North was in Toronto. That's right. That's where I met Daniel Stamberg. Um, didn't we? Didn't we establish Jaime? Jaime, you've never been, you've never been up here, have you? I've never been into the city of Toronto. I've been through the airport. That well, was on the like, way. That's to like I've been. That's NS like North. I've been to London. I've been through Heathrow. Like you know. Yeah, I've been to London. <laughs> I was born there. But yeah, um, yeah, no, no. It's like, like, uh, yeah. He went to Shadow Montebello is between Quebec City and Montreal, I think, right, or past Quebec City, somewhere. In, it's, it's between them, right? Yeah, it's between them. It's like three hours out of Montreal, up the road, right? Hmm. It's a ski lodge or something. Hmm. Yeah. They, they had a curling rink there, I think, right? It's like a like a hunting lodge, ski lodge, or something of that nature. They had they had horses, for what I recall. I think you, if the weather was good. And not snowy, you could do like horse carriage or something. It was like all oh, that's right. It was take snowy your too. Take wasn't your it? family, yeah. like kind of place. Yeah, it was a weird, weird place to have a conference. Nice though. Yeah, that because that was the weekend the watch came out. Because because uh, one of our fans and I drove to. Um, I don't know how did we get there? Oh, I took. I think I took the train into into Montreal, and then we drove. 
Hmm. Can't remember. No, maybe I flew to Montreal, I guess. Weird. Long time ago. So what am I looking to look for? Jaime Lopez Jr. Where are you? Yeah, so four times we've been breathing the same air. <laughs> you know what? You're right. I think the watch did come out during the conference uh, for uh, pre-orders. Because normally I would, you know, stay up to uh, midnight yeah, to, do, order them. to do pre-orders Pacific time. But then since we were in Eastern time, I had to wake, you know, set an alarm to wake up at like three in the morning, buy my, you know, pre-order my stuff and then go back to sleep. So Jaime, Jaime has the honor of being one of the first people I uploaded into Two Life, the Two Life app that we worked on. Oh. Yeah. We were, we were at, mm. went out for nachos, I think, on the first day we met. And then I was showing him the app, and I, so I uploaded the picture into the app. <laughs> That's how I know what date it was. And then, um, oh, and then I brought him Timbits at, at, uh, at 20, April 10th, 2015 was, was Montebello. And then 2014 was when the three of us were at um, 360i Dev. What's this picture from? 2015, same thing. The picture that he has on the web with him wearing an orange shirt, I took that picture with my phone. <laughs> and then there's uh, 2016, yeah, September 2016 was Tammy's thing. Yeah, and that's it. Last, oh, no, what's this one here? 2017, we were, oh, so we were at 2017 360 iDev as well, Jaime. Hmm, okay. Yeah, we, okay. we did the podcast live that one time, right? And there's a bunch of pictures of, of Jaime with fans of the show. And Greg, Greg photobombing. <clears throat> All right. I have to go watch more Barry. Good plan. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll stay in touch on Slack, but uh, if there's anything we want to jump on over the next few weeks, we can certainly discuss, but uh, sure. otherwise we'll mm-hmm. circle back for June 15th. Yeah. yeah. A little hiatus here. Mm-hmm. Well earned. <laughs> we did a good job. June 15th. Yeah. Good job, boys. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Yeah. We did it. Yay, it's over. Are we going to start a new season? Uh, it's, I guess, I guess right? that's a question for you. Um, so theoretically, really 10, episodes, 10 episodes of Picard, and then a break, and then there's, I think it's 10 more for Strange New Worlds, and that'll actually piggyback into, I think, when they're planning on starting um, Lower Decks. So we should probably be at okay. it for a, for a stretch there, because there's those two. And actually, when we're doing Strange New Worlds, I think will overlap with uh, Secret Invasion on Disney Plus, too. So we can talk about that right. during that stretch as well. Okay. So if you hung in this long on this episode and you just want to listen to all of us talking and you made it all this way, you'll know what to look forward to next. Next up, yeah, Strange New Worlds cut. and Secret Invasion coming in June on Spock. June. All right. That's the future, right? We'll see you coming in the future. In the future, we'll see you in the future. In the future, talk to you in the future, or maybe I'll I'll take you. I'll talk to you probably. I may on more than just code before now and then. I'm sure. Yeah, because WWDC comes up. Uh, is it the week of the fifth? Early June. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right, Jets. Always a pleasure. Bye. Right. Bye. Yeah. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.